it was sixteen thousand dollars a year. And so that's I was a, right. Well, that's like four to five a semester. That's sixteen divided by two is eight. I didn't go to college. I don't know how many semesters there are. You did go to college. <laughs> I went. I went to special college. Okay. Hello and welcome to our Riverdale podcast, brought to you by the Aficionados Podcast Network. My name is Robin Jeffrey. I'm a 24-year-old actor and drama instructor. I like reading anti-heroes, feminist agendas, and I have way too much knowledge regarding details that no one else remembers. I run at 100 scripts on Twitter. You can call me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey pretty much everywhere. And our fun fact for this episode is what, like, have you ever gone to therapy or what would you talk to a therapist about? So in joke answers, I would probably almost certainly talk about the type of pain I feel from fictional TV shows. Mm. Yeah, 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 and how that like it kind of in the Jughead way in this episode where he kind of talks about how he relates things to fiction in his life, which is like basically my job on this uh, on this podcast. It sure is. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, in genuine uh, uh, answers, um, I have genuine actual problems with sex repulsion yeah. that make it hard for me to live my daily life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. our society talks about sex a lot. It happens even in this episode. It sure does. I love being uncomfortable. But I will say that the version of like life that you lead, you're basically always like doing exposure therapy, mm-hmm. and I have seen you make progress with that. Thanks. So I'm gonna give you some shout outs for that one. Thanks. And my name is Brittany Ray. I'm a 30 year old journalist from beautiful post apocalyptic Vancouver, BC. I like badass moms and long naps. I'm on Twitter at Britannia, where I could find anything to be interesting and talking about my cat. And um, so I've been to real therapy. Um, I've done um, cognitive behavioral therapy, and it was to basically like rewire my brain because I had panic attacks constantly. So I've done that two rounds of that, like because when you do therapy, not a lot of people do this. You should refresh every couple years. Like go back and make sure that you still have the skills that you learned there because you can fall right back into that same place if you don't re-up your skills. And um, my joke answer is that I aesthetically am the pickiest person in the entire world and I need help with that. <laughs> can confirm. Yeah, I was like, and the person who knows that best is... <laughs> my wife! My wife! <laughs> And my name is Samantha Coley. I'm a 27-year-old marketing coordinator from sunny pre-apocalyptic Washington, D.C. I'm a senior writer and the social media specialist at Telltale TV. I like over 40s OTPs and making playlists. I'm on Twitter at Sam Casey's, where you can find me yelling about television and fangirling middle-aged actresses. I have not been to therapy, uh, oh. but I probably should. <laughs> We're going to get you some. Don't you worry. Um, my joke answer is that I should probably go um, get my Star Trek addiction checked on. Mm. Okay, both of you to think that it's not your like endless vitamin addiction? Me taking care of myself and making sure that you also take care of yourself is not a bad thing, you Brittany take, Victoria. You like, 30 vitamins a day. I take two. But the two contain like 30. No. <laughs> Well, then never mind. <laughs> take. I take um, balance and vitamin C, if anyone is wondering. Thank you so much. And my real answer is uh, I would probably go to therapy for um, growing up as a gay kid in the North Carolina with very conservative <laughs> parents. <laughs> Honestly, just, I would go to therapy for being from North Carolina. <laughs> is North Carolina part of the Bible Belt? Yes. So you grew up gay in the Bible Belt? Yes. So that's really all that needs saying at that yes. point. Yeah. Yeah. So... Riverdale. (laughs) Today we have words to say about episode 4 or 8 of Riverdale, In Treatment. So In Treatment is an American HBO drama about a psychotherapist, 50-something, Dr. Paul Weston and his weekly sessions with patients, as well as those with his own therapist at the end of the week. So, relevant. Yeah. Cool. 
Uh, Brittany, toot or boot? Um, I think toot overall, because this episode did a lot of what we were asking. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, newt for, like, some elements, I guess, yeah. just because I'm so friggin' tired of Veronica. Uh. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and give it a newt. I did enjoy some parts of it, but I also feel like not a lot happened and it was mostly just like okay we're fixing all the things that were annoying you or not fixing them for other cases and then it's kind of just like this is a it was a weird like band-aid episode and I was just sitting there like okay you didn't have to make this suck this bad in the first place (laughs) so yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna plus I'm mostly also giving it a newt because like we started off with the worst session I think and that put me in a bad mood for the rest of the episode so I did put in my notes at the end of every storyline what does this change right because I feel like it's important to talk about what this changes for Mm. every single thing yeah Yeah, yeah, it did it did feel like the episode was very um these are the audience's complaints yeah and it's kind of interesting the way they did it because obviously the verbiage that Mrs. Burble uses we don't like all usually have Mm -hmm. Um, as people who think critically of the show, like, we often, like, do point out a lot of the things that she pointed out, and how we've complained about these sort of things, so, like, it's kind of the voice of the audience, but at the same time, it's from, like, a different kind of perspective, which I kind of appreciated. I think I'm ultimately going to give the episode a toot, because I think that the, uh, way they did it, and the kind of, like, template they used was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I also did feel like it kind of, what, uh, fell short in the way that um, some of the other genre episodes haven't. Yeah. Um, so, for example, like, the... I think it's 207 and 307 both had episodes where it was, like, three separate stories. Yeah. And I think it was Tales from the Dark Side and The Man yeah. in Black. Mm-hmm. Um, where it was, like, three separate storylines and it was just, like, piece by piece by piece. And I thought that yeah. was really cool. I think the problem here is that there are too many storylines um, happening that are, like, piece by piece by piece. Like, there are five. five. Um, instead of three, and we also need to also have time for the beginning part and the ending yeah. part, and so just as we're getting into, like, ta- having a conversation, then it's like, we have to wrap it up, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think ultimately I want to give it a toot, but, um, yeah, I guess that's it. Ultimately I'll give it a toot. I do want to say my newt is not, like, a negative, uh, thing. It's neutral for a reason. Yeah, I I think my, like, the structure of the episode, like you said, was really good. And I liked the, I thought everyone did, had some pretty good performances. Mm -hmm. Like, Machen did a great job. Gina was cool. Madeline did amazing. KJ. Um, KJ was so good. KJ was so good. Even Cole at the end Mm -hmm. was, like, on the verge of tears in just the right way. So, like... I think the the structure and the performances were really good, but I, Lily's I was the only one we didn't say. Lily didn't say too, but she kind of either. Betty was kind of doing like the same thing that yeah. Betty's done for the last little while. Yeah. So like Lily's always good. Mm-hmm. It's just right. she didn't have a lot of places to go. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the performances and the structure were good, but I didn't um, find the writing very good. Mm. So I mean. I, like, I hate sounding nitpicky, because I'm like, well, this is what I wanted, but it wasn't the way I wanted it, but, Mm. like, this is what I wanted, but it wasn't the way I wanted it. The thing is that, like, I think listening to Mrs. Burble talk, I was like, yes, like, it was kind of like snap, snap, snaps the whole time, but it's all the things that she was saying was, like, something I would expect from a podcast or, like, a post on Tumblr, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I'm not, I don't, like I said, I've never been to therapy, so I don't know if this was super accurate to therapy or if um, a therapist or a psychologist 
kind of watched over or like looked through than the script beforehand. But yeah, it seemed like the things she was saying were kind of like just kind of things I'd be like, oh, true. Mm -hmm, yeah, but like not really something that like was past surface level, if that makes sense. I don't think that anything that she said, a psychologist would be like, oh, that was genius. Because mm -hmm. basically all she did was like explain at these kids what their problems were. That's not what a psychologist is supposed to do. A psychologist is supposed to, and she does do this, I think, with Archie the most, is she helps helps find like in her instance she helps find solutions that for you to solve your own problems mm -hmm. and usually sends you away with homework whereas especially with veronica she basically was like veronica you have to do this you have to do this and you have to do this and i was like that's like maybe with ronnie because she it, they kind of made it clear that she's seen ronnie a couple times mm -hmm. but that's like some deep level like advice that you usually have to spend time building a relationship with your therapist to like work towards so like the fact that for like for most of this these kids had seen this therapist once i was like this is really intense and to be honest most of it was exposition yeah it, yeah it was kind of like a verbal clip show yeah which is like on the one hand i'm glad they did it because it does kind of wrap up a whole bunch of plot holes in a little bow but like Sam said, there shouldn't have been the plot holes in the first place. Mm -hmm. It was like the writers made all these mistakes and they're like, oh, well, we have to fix this before we can go any farther. So they stopped the whole show, put everyone in through therapy to fix their own writing mistakes. And then they were like, okay, well, now we can go on. And I'm like, yeah. I'm excited to get to the end of every storyline and then talk about like what this changes because, yeah. mm -hmm. because when you get to the end, like a lot of it like does... There, there are a few storylines where, like, nothing changes, really. Like, it's especially Monica. and Archie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Archie has some new... Like, we get an anonymous tip line, but ultimately he's still doing the things that he was going to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? So I'm, I'm excited to talk about that. Should we go into the episode? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I did just, like, the beginning as its own little piece. Sure. Uh, so I will uh, start with that. Cool. More videotapes have started popping up, this time closer in. Also scary, people have started getting accepted or rejected by colleges. Mr. Honey asks Mrs. Burble, the guidance counselor, to hold extended office hours and talk to basically everyone. Sure. That's mm -hmm. the whole uh, beginning thing. Uh, Jughead calls the videotapes the Watcher and the Burbs, which I thought was kind of cool because we've had a whole episode called The Watcher in the Woods. Yep. Um, so that kind of reminded me of that. Burbs? Burbles? Things to think about? Oh, burb. <laughs> the Burbs. <laughs> the Burbs and the Burble. Yeah. The shot where they had, like, Julian super, super close up and then Cheryl and then Tony in the background. That was so weird. It, it was, was trippy. really creepy, but I'm trying to think of what it, like, reminds me of. I feel like it's, like, kind of a an M.O. of, like, a certain genre you yeah. know what I mean? I mean, mm -hmm. for me, it's the MO of a horror drama. A horror right. genre. Sure. Like, it's very Annabelle. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, something that you wouldn't even notice because your eyes immediately go to Cheryl, but then if you look over, you're like, what? what? Yeah. What's that? You know what it reminds me of? Chucky. Okay. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's supposed to, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. But, like, that shot specifically, I was like, whoever directed this episode, we should have looked it up. Did I a great job. It. Yeah, I can look it up. One sec. The cinematography. Am I right? <laughs> I went to film school. <laughs> Directed by Michael Goy. Michael Goy, you're a good director. Okay. Sam, would you like to talk about what you thought the um, v VHS was going to be? So I had the theory after last week's episode that the videotape that wound up on FP Analysis' doorstep would be the sex tape that someone was recording of... Betty and Jughead at Stonewall because I knew going into this one that F that Alice and Betty were going to have a sex talk so I figured that would be what instigated it and I'm gotta say I'm a little disappointed that it wasn't that because in order to 
get to that talk, they reverted Alice to, like, her season one self instead of having this bombshell dropped on their doorsteps. And, like, sure, I'm glad that Alice didn't have to see her daughter on a sex tape, but also I would have found that more realistic than this episode. I agree, and I think now it's going to be clunky if, like, it ends up being, like, the next set of videotapes are, like, actually inside. And, like, the next set of videotapes is big, uh, Bughead sex tape. Right. You know, because now it's like, okay, well, we've already talked about this, though. Like, it's not relevant anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I, you know it's gonna come back in some way, yeah. but, like, how? Mm -hmm. I think the sex tape will probably come back in a way to get Jughead kicked out of Stonewall. Mm, I can see it. How about other kids have sex in their dorm rooms and they don't get in trouble? Yeah, but you can't you can't prove it. Whereas that's a true. tape would be definitive proof. So, is that I don't know. Is that a thing that's prohibited? Maybe in high schools? In high schools. Oh. Okay. I forget they're not in college. That's because they all act like they're in college. Yeah. I've never gone to a high school boarding school. The only other, like, thing I have for this is Zoe 101, so, like, I don't know. And, um, they didn't have- there was no sex in Zoe 101. So, well, on screen. So I don't know. I mean, thanks, Jamie Lynn Spears, for getting Zoe 101 canceled. Oop. By getting pregnant. Oop. It's fine, I respect you, but I'm still sad. <laughs> Use protection, kids. Um, like Betty. Yeah, to be fair. Yeah, so my next thing was just what's happening to that tape, and I think that is probably the one that's next. Yeah. yeah. Um, Because it seems to be getting closer and closer. And, um, like, are there tapes of other people having sex, or is it just a bughead sex Is tape? there a Snake Parents one? I would watch it. Yeah. I Same. Um, stand by my theory that there is a camera inside of Julian's... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Guys, especially when, like, they're watching the tape and he's the one who's, like, watching them watch the tape, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally forgot about that theory. And if there, if there's somebody in the walls moving Julian around, they could, like, be specifically moving him around because he has a camera in him and they're trying to capture something specific. Yeah. Well, well at this point, they basically have capture, captured a dead body and then another dead body and a murder and fake cannibalism. So, good God, what are you waiting for? I know, they're like, aha, Betty and Jughead, we caught you guys having sex, so this is blackmail. And it's like, okay, well, you got um, you got Cheryl and Tony committing a murder, but let's not use that one. Cheryl's <laughs> like, hold my beer. Whatever. Um, so, Ms. Burble, uh, we've heard about her a lot. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. But we've never uh, seen her. Like, for some reason, like, the one that always sticks out to me is the first time we meet Charles Melton's Reggie in 201, I believe. Mm -hmm. Maybe 202. He, like, talks about Miss Burble. And um, Kevin's talked about Miss Burble this season, um, that he's been, like, talking to her about um, college. Right. Yeah. And everything. So uh, I'm almost certain I've already said this. When we spoke about Ms. Burble probably the first time, but I just wanted to read out what the little, like, blurble on Ms. Burble... <laughs> I am done with puns already. ...is on the uh, Archie Comics wiki. All right, go off. The most recent counselor at Riverdale High. Like her predecessors, this African-American woman, so I like that they kept that... That's important. I didn't know that was uh, canonical from the comics. Yeah. I love that. Is bothered by the student's silly career ideas, but always manages to keep her cool about it, and it never affects her health. I don't know why okay. it would do that. Sure. Originally called Miss Burble, but in Tales of Riverdale number one, she was called Mrs. Burble, implying that she has since been married. And uh, in Riverdale, she is called Mrs. Burble. So okay. Tell that story then. Yeah. Um, so Mr. Honey gives her very large envelopes. Yeah, they're thick. How because much information? He's been keeping is... receipts on them the entire time. Well, who else 
like, we already know that Kevin has spoken to Mrs. Burble, but she, it seems like she's the one who's given the information to Mr. Honey so that he could manipulate Kevin earlier. Mm. And so if he has these very large envelopes, like, who is the one who's gathering this information? Isn't that just their permanent records that are compiled from multiple places? I don't know. It's very, very, they're very thick. I don't know. It could be. I mean... I think the joke is that they're very thick because these kids are, like, absolutely insane. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, like, regular kids would have regular thickness. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) With a K and not two Cs. Mm, Okay. Uh, Who else would we have liked to have here? Kevin. Kevin. I think Reggie. Reggie. Reggie for sure. Tony. Tony Mm -hmm. at this point also. Yeah. She's, like, basically an orphan um, who's being gaslit by a girlfriend. Yeah. My main thing is Reggie. I would have really liked to hear him talk a little bit more about his dad. Yeah. Because he only really talked to Archie a little bit there. Yeah, they didn't really, like, unpack that. In a way that they could have. I feel like they didn't unpack a lot of, like, what they could have for this. No. Oh, tea. No tea, no shade. Well, actually, some tea, some shade. Mm-hmm. But only some. Just a little. Just a little bit. Just, like, a, a splash. So now we're going to go into Betty. And I wrote her summary. Betty gets a blast from the past as Alice is somehow transported back into the one-dimensional person that she was in the pilot uh, to be this episode's person-turned-plot device. Alice confronts Betty, uh, not about her sex tape, but about her going to yell, and probably the worst way to break that news to her. Alice reveals that she's snooped through Betty's mail, and then also her room, and, uh, some- that's something that we thought she had grown out of, but here we are, and she found birth control. Uh, at least Betty is being responsible, but Alice has been temporarily lobotomized, so that, uh, the fact that Betty is having regular sex with Jughead comes as a surprise to her. Betty goes to Mrs. Burble and her session gets crashed by Alice because what are boundaries? Both of them need therapy anyway, so they have a joint session. Alice thinks that Betty is having too much sex and Betty thinks that Alice has no respect for her privacy. Burble asks Alice if she associates shortcomings with sexuality, which might have been true if she was still married to Hal, but we know better. (laughs) The therapy session quickly devolves into Betty reading Alice for filth for every single mistake that the writers have made about her characterization. Uh, Alice has no space for growth or even an apology as Betty goes on a tirade, telling her about all of the ways that she is a terrible person. After some gentle prodding from Miss Burble, Alice admits she's afraid of losing Betty like she lost her other two kids. Betty makes a single point in that Alice could do this kind of helicopter mom thing with Polly, who actually needs it. Uh, and then in a shocking outburst, Alice admits that she loves Betty more than she loves Polly. Uh, insert John Mulaney saying we don't have time to unpack all, all of that. that. Uh... <laughs> So in the wake of this confession, Alice flees the session and we don't see any kind of resolution between Betty and Verbal. When Betty gets home from school, Alice really isn't in the mood to discuss what happened, but she has learned at least to make an attempt at making amends. She gives Betty, she leaves Betty's mail untouched and adds a check to repay her college fund. Betty admits that she also loves her mom most. It was a sweet ending, but it was yes. still like yeah. marred by How? all of the garbage that like, like I understand Betty talking about all these things that have bothered her, but like it wasn't all Alice's fault. Like we made right. it all Alice's fault the entire time. And I was like, like never when we were actually watching those things unfold did we think mm, this is Alice's fault. You yeah, know what I mean? So like why complexity. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, yeah, it was good when we were watching it because we were like, oh, interesting. But we never really thought about whose fault this is. And I still don't think even if we had thought about that, that we would have come up with Alice. Yeah, and I feel like if anyone has uh, f***ed up Betty, uh, it's probably Hal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the way that he groomed her to be a serial killer since yeah. she was 12. 
Um, but that's just my two cents. Yeah, it just felt like really weak writing to take all of the like inconsistencies and like character plot twists, I guess, and then make them character flaws. Because I still stand by the assumption that they did not know Alice was going to be an FBI agent until they got to the end of the season. I agree. Yep. And now they've proven it. And so now they were like, now they've decided to just blame Alice not telling Betty any of that on Alice instead of being like, oops, that was uh, our bad. And that, that was the thing that bothered me the most. That was the perfect place for Alice to reveal that that money went into a fund. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or that she had bought the Sisters of Quiet Mercy in her own name mm. and then sold it so that Betty could have her money back. That would have, like, gone such a long way towards, like, easing some of, like, those multiple bullets that got, like, shot into Alice. Yeah. It literally, she could have been like, hey, psych, I had to make you think that because, you know, I had to make you think that I was in the cult. Yeah. But, like, psych, I put it in a bank account and it's been accumulating interest. You're welcome. And then you get, like, right, extra. Exactly. exactly. Or whatever. So, yeah, it I'm, was really weird. I mean, like, Alice hasn't been the greatest parent. No. Like, we all oh, know it. Yeah, absolutely. She's done some terrible things. As much as, like, we are Alice apologists, I will absolutely be the first person to say she is a little unhinged when it comes to parenting. All of her um, faves are problematic. Yes. Yeah. But Alice especially has done some pretty questionable stuff, but they always manage to ground it in some kind of like slightly more like understandable way. Yeah. Whereas now they've dumbed every decision down she's made into, I picked a favorite child and every decision I've made has been to obsessively keep track of her. And I think that's so weird. I just think it's really, like, it undoes so much of the, like, character work that was done for Alice over the first two seasons, mm -hmm. which her arc from the end, the beginning of season one to the end of season two was actually fantastic. I loved season like, yeah, two for She her. had so much growth over those two seasons, like, from season, from, even from the first episode to the last episode of season one, she grows a lot mm -hmm. and, like, makes a lot of progress. And then with the farm storyline and now this, it's like they've just thrown all of that out the window and they don't really know how to write her anymore when she's with Betty at least like they know how to write her with FP which is she's like completely different with, character which is great because she's like actually a person but they've like stuck her in the like villain slash caretaker role in Betty's story and they don't know how to write her as anything other than those two pieces yeah and that bothers me because like they did it well at one point and now they're not doing it well and that I don't know it's I think annoying. her character changes depending on which writer in the writer's room is writing her it, it absolutely does Betty is like these are all of the things that you've lied to me about and you're at fault for all of it mm -hmm. and Alice is like well I only lie to her or, or keep things from her when it's in her best interest and like does she often lie to her when it's not in Betty's best interest Totally. Yeah, 100%. But a lot of the things that Betty is bringing up, she was lying to her for, or keeping things from her for her best interest. She's like, you didn't tell me you were an FBI informant. You didn't tell me that blah, blah, blah. It's and like, it's well, like, telling you that would have put her in danger. I wasn't allowed to tell you because this reason, this reason, this reason. So it's like, they're giving me this giant long list and they're saying Alice is at fault for all of it. And I'm like, is Alice at fault for some of it? Sure. But there are some things in there that she's not at fault for. And I don't know why you're just, like, piling it all on top of her. Right. And she doesn't get any chance to, like, explain herself mm. or, like, show growth from, like, any of the things. It's that just Betty made. yelling at her the it, entire time. Exactly. Yeah. It's very disappointing. There's also, um, the, the thing where she wasn't told about Charles. They had a whole 
conversation where, like, Alice was like, you know, like, I very shamefully, like, I had a child. Mm -hmm. Like, and then I, the whole plot of the Midnight Club is (laughs) Alice telling Betty about the the events that happened around her being pregnant. Yeah. Also, like, yeah, like, Betty's like, and you didn't tell me he was alive afterwards. And I was like, she she didn't didn't know! She didn't know! And she couldn't tell you once she found out because he was... In the FBI. Yeah. So, oh, dear Which is Lord. like, if we had had five more minutes for Alice to get a word in to be like, yeah. So yeah. here's all the reasons that these happened. I understand that I am a helicopter parent and I need to do way better, but there were some plot justifiable reasons why I did these things. Yeah. Exactly. I would have felt so much better, but instead they were just like, you're a garbage parent, you're a garbage parent. And I'm like, this isn't the hundred. Yeah. Like, right. Like, if you're going to dump on, like, the Abby Griffin of Riverdale, like, then I'm going. Because, like, I genuinely have trauma from watching the hundred and them giving Abby the idiot ball until they killed her. Yeah. So now I'm like, is Alice okay? Mm-hmm. Like, are they going to kill Alice now? No. God. I know they're not. Ugh. But I have trauma. Going back to Brittany's point about how it feels like her character changes depending on who's in the writer's room. I was, I I was going to make a point of being about the exact same thing. I think that's completely true. And I think that they are most guilty of doing that with Alice and Cheryl. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, because at any given moment, these women are like some of the best characters on the show because yeah. of their complexity and like their growth from the one dimensional like stereotypes that they were at the beginning of the show but they're also some of the worst and then they immediately in certain episodes get thrown into like these back into those stereotypes that make you think that that character has been suddenly brainwashed Mm -hmm. or like turned into a different person just to move the plot forward and it's really exhausting and i don't like it (laughs) i think that it's not even like i definitely think that I agree that it's, like, whoever's writing the episode mm-hmm. makes it different. But I also think it's, like, when you have one character who is a completely different character between who they're talking to. Like, Alice yeah. with FP and Alice with Betty, they're completely, like, ir- irrecogni- yeah. Yeah, ir- unrecognizable yeah. between each other. Alice with yeah. FP, stable, mm-hmm. normal, happy. Capable, Alice with Betty, badass. absolutely chaotic. Yeah. Un- neurotic obsessive like unrecognizable Mm -hmm. which is like really annoying because like at one point like i feel like during season two she and betty had a pretty decent relationship awesome and it was like fantastic Mm -hmm. because they were on each other's team i mean it's hermione and veronica all over again like they can't seem to write a stable mother-daughter relationship on this show which is frustrating yeah as a viewer Mm -hmm. and i mean Let's not pretend like Riverdale is the best written show. No, it's, it's not. not supposed to be. It's and like, not I'm not going to expect that of it. I just would like the characters to be consistent. Well, mm-hmm. the thing is, I, I like want it the bare minimum. Yeah. I want it to be bad in a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want it to be batshit insane, but in an entertaining way. But when they do stuff like this, I'm like, mm, I don't buy it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think y'all just really screwed up. And um, I think you should and could do better. So grow up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like I, I could have... I was accepting of these, like, the character inconsistencies in Alice's story up to this point. Like, I was annoyed by them when they happened, but I had, like, been like, sure, whatever, it was a writing flaw, I'm over it. But now that they've taken all of that and been like, you thought these were writing flaws? Um, just kidding, they're character flaws, Alice sucks. Um, that's really annoying to me. And I was just like, I was willing to overlook this because it was just like, I knew it wasn't entrenched in the canon. 
and now you've made it canon. Yep. And that bothers me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think our point here is um, thanks, we hate it. Next storyline. Right. Yeah. So if we can go into some of the details of the storyline, I noticed that when F, uh, when Betty gets back um, from, I think she's like taking a run or something, she's yeah. wearing an mm-hmm. FBI sweater. That's cute. Which she must have gotten either from Charles or like from class or whatever. Either way merch so cute <laughs> i love it oh my god um so betty didn't get to, into yale um we know that potentially veronica is going to yale i guess um so yeah. i assume that if they're going to continue the show in which they're all together then um we will find some way for betty to get into yale and they'll go to yale together yeah that would be nice um alice mentions that she that betty has a false bottom on her nightstand why did Wait, she know what? that yeah. Yeah, she says that she I found it that. in the false bottom of her knife- nightstand. So she must have known about this for a really long time, and she just, like, goes in there and looks at, like, what she's, like, super hiding. You know what I mean? I feel like either that or that Betty installed it after Alice found the gun in uh-huh. her nightstand in season one mm-hmm. in order to hide more things from Alice. But I, I am curious as to when, when this was installed mm-hmm. and how she found out about it. Can you imagine the writers thinking that right Alice was so helicopter mom Alice was so stupid <laughs> Betty and Jughead sleeping in the same bed didn't involve sex. Right. Oh my god. <laughs> I and like and like Alice and Betty have had a conversation about Betty having sex before. Yeah, like when when Chick was like, what, do you guys remember the iconic yes! moment in season two where Alice finds Betty's weird old wig yes! and yes! Chick goes, she uses it to roleplay while she's having sex with Jughead. And Betty's like, uh, how did you know? And Chick is like, and I guess. And Alice is like, what? Wait a minute, are you telling me that? That I forgot that Alice already knew they were having sex yes. and they just went and redid this plotline twice. Yes. I don't think that, that Alice didn't know she was having sex. I think that maybe she didn't know she was having sex so often to need birth control. Yeah, I, think I guess. That, like, that's how I kind of got it. And you know what sucks is this would have been a great opportunity for a mother and daughter to have a really frank conversation about how important safe sex is. Yeah. Because abstinence is not safe sex. And abstinence, literally, scientifically, statistically, does not lead to fewer pregnancies. It actually leads to more because abstinence doesn't work. Whereas, like... I'm, what? When when people enforce the When people enforce... Rule, when they tell you that abstinence is the only way. Yeah. Abstinence... Right. Does work. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> to be clear, it works if you literally don't have sex. Yeah, but good freaking luck doing that. So, well, unless you're wrong. <laughs> but like, they could have talked about like how like good sexual education is and how important that is, and like she could have taken her to get birth control. Exactly. I uh, yeah. So I've literally been thinking this whole time, like how much I would have loved this for uh, Veronica and Archie more than I would want something like this for Bughead. I understand that it needed to be about Bughead in this moment, but, like, I just, like, can you not see in your mind? Veronica and Camila could fully pull this off, okay? Mm. Can you not see this in your mind? Like, imagine this, okay? Mm. Veronica and Archie are like, ooh, and they're, like, making out or whatever, and she's like, let's go into our room, or my room, and so they go in there or whatever, and she, like, pushes Archie down on the bed. You know how it is, right? She pushes Archie down on the bed, and she reaches into her nightstand, and with her two, like, with her pointer finger and her middle finger and her, like, fancy nails and her rings and stuff, shwoof, condom. She could pull right. it off. She absolutely could. Oh, you mean to like send a message? Yeah, that were exactly. Sex. She could. She could fully pull it off. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, like I don't know. I think like safe sex is sexy, right? Exactly. Yes. Like that's right because you're like, being careful. If I was assured that these kids were having safe sex in any other way, I would have been like, 
Bravo. Yeah. Just, thank you so much. But this was just like the bar was on the floor. Like, like why did you have to make there. Alice stupid to make this point? Like, like I don't get because that. you always have to make mom stupid or helpless in order for things to get done on teen shows. Hello. Ugh, but can you not see Camila fully pulling that? Off? Oh, oh absolutely, one hundred percent. And you got like it's like a close up, and then it's like the heckin' um like focus shifts or whatever. Yeah. And then like they both just kind of are just like ha ha or whatever. Like it fully. It works. Can you imagine right. how much we would have complained about how gross it was that we had to watch that, but that we were grateful that at least they were acknowledging it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they could pull it off. They yeah, absolutely they could. It would not be a or problem. put it on, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, so Skit Scat. Oh my god. Oh my god, Skit Scat. What is up with all of the candy? Like, what exactly is the point? Because she says, like, oh, I have a sweet tooth. We have candy with... Uh, Veronica, she talks about the candy. I think she talks about it with Cheryl and Jughead, obviously. She talks about with the candy and everything. potentially a comic reference? Like, maybe it's a comic reference? Oh! It didn't say that in her little blurble. Because, like... (laughs) That's a weird word. I'm not going to say that anymore. (laughs) My thing was, like, okay, either they're trying to establish a character trait, and this is a really quirky way to do it, except that they beat us over the head with it, and now we're suspicious. Or, is she supposed to be, like, the new Sugar Man or something? I'm just, like... Like, I don't... I have a feeling that, like, since Gina Torres is such a big guest star. Yeah, she's way too famous. In, like, not in the way that Chan Michael Murray was. <laughs> like, Gina Torres is, like, an icon. Like, she probably, like, we probably will never see her again. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, they right, used yeah. her up, all her quota, this whole episode. Like, she was literally on screen basically the entire time. Yeah. So that's why it's like, okay, I'm gonna let it go because I assume we're probably just never gonna see her again. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, just there enough for me to feel suspicious yeah mm-hmm. i have yeah. a hard time especially when they like started it with betty and, and every single time shots? yeah and every single time that anything has anything to do with betty i'm suspicious because yeah. betty's storyline is always like ridiculous twists and turns that make no sense yeah. like if they brought it up with archie first i would have been like oh just likes candy yeah. you know what i mean but because betty was on screen i was literally like hmm, 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 the whole time <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly uh, so Betty is case 65. Just wanted, they, they had case numbers, so I'm just going to bring them up, I guess. Right. I like that Alice corrects Miss Burble on her last name. She says, I, I am not a Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. I am not a Cooper. Thank you very much. And on her, on the check she gives Betty mm-hmm. at the end of the episode, um, she signs Alice Smith, and at the top it yeah. says her address is Alice Smith. So she's gone and changed it. Yeah. I wonder if, like, in the way that Veronica changed her last name because she didn't like what it represented anymore, like, I wonder why Betty has not done the same. I was thinking that exact same thing. Like, as you were, like, saying it, I was like, why is Betty still Cooper? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Betty Cooper is just iconic, but so is Veronica Lodge, so it's interesting that they changed it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of talked about a lot of this, obviously, already, but uh, does she associate sex with shortcomings? Uh, Brittany, could you talk about the difference between a therapist and a psychologist? There is no difference between a therapist and a psychologist. Oh, so that line just didn't make sense? There's a difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I guess if you were going to do, no, I don't, I genuinely don't think there's a difference. Oh, okay. Uh, so then she, it's turns to 65B because now Alice is also here. Um, yeah, they're putting all of this on Alice. I also mentioned this. To be fair, Alice also believed Charles was dead when she told Betty that. Like, Betty was there when Chick said that Charles was dead. I got the difference. Oh, you did? Okay, great. Yeah. So a psychologist often works in tandem with a psychiatrist, which is also a medical doctor and can prescribe medication to determine that medication is necessary for a patient's treatment. A therapist's goal is to help patients make decisions and clarify their feelings in order to solve problems. Oh, so she's a licensed psychologist, but what she's doing here is therapy. It's just straight therapy. Okay. 
Okay. So Betty talks about how Alice gave away her college fund, and she explains it by saying she was under the influence of Edgar at that time. So did she join the farm on her own volition and then get approached by Charles to be? Because I originally yeah, I had thought that Charles had come to her and she had joined the cult because Charles asked her to do that. Well, that's because Alice said literally said that like two episodes ago when she was like, I joined it to get your sister back. Oh. Remember that? Remember when she said I was trying to save Polly? So how were you under the influence of Edgar at any point? Yeah, um, Unclear. listen, it's a mess. Okay. Yeah. Also, Betty is like basically just yelling at Alice and she says that context is needed. Like Alice is like, context would be important in this moment, but she never gets to give her context. No. How could her context have, have helped her side of the story? I mean, I feel like we've covered that. Like mm-hmm. we gave the context that Alice couldn't. Right. Which right. is like another five minutes could have explained probably half of the issues that Betty had. Not all right? of them. No. But sure. definitely quite a few of them. Betty says that she didn't want to end up like Alice and Polly. And That's she fair. said that it was, that she was, she is being smart because she's being like proactive. She is, 100% Betty was in the right there. I agree. Mm-hmm. Why keep writing diaries when you know your mom's going to read them? Or like keep them in your school locker or something, you know? Like well, why like do you keep your leaving, phone. yeah, why do you keep leaving well, your diaries out? I think because it's too, it's twofold there. It's one, like, if we're going to go for like a metaphor, like it's basically like victim blaming. Like what, why are you wearing that? Why do you keep writing your diaries? It's like, because you're freaking hoping that you're dumbass mom isn't gonna steal your diary that's fair but also i think because alice was gone for so long and she's with fp i think betty just assumed like she wouldn't do that anymore i mean same betty says that if alice keeps doing these then she's not going to be in her life anymore and the same thing happened with polly in season one remember when hermione had to like go and tell alice to come to the baby shower yeah 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 which is why it like this whole episode just feels like we're back to season one Alice, and I'm like, no, I want season two Alice. Yeah. You misunderstood me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she mentions that she already lost two children, and so she's, like, kind of coddling Betty. And I'm like, you have Jelly Bean. Also, Charles, Charles is back. back. Yeah, Charles is and here. Polly needs her. So, like, like I, I understand that she, like, feels like she lost Charles because she literally just met him, and he's a full-on sure. adult oh, already. Sure, sure. So, like, For sure. yeah, she yeah, didn't yeah. get his childhood literally at all. Yeah. But I'm like, Jellybean is right there. Like, if you want to find somebody to, like, like, Jellybean's a kid. Sure. Like, and Jellybean's been raised by freaking Gladys so far. Jellybean's yeah. literally a criminal. Yeah. When she said that she loved her the most, like, I think we all went... <sighs> Yeah, we're like, you are uh, not supposed to say that, ma'am. And she knew she wasn't supposed to say that. She literally was like, oopsie. And she was like, uh, I, ha- I have to go anywhere else. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm, I gotta sit on that for a while. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised because I do feel like most parents have a favorite child, even mm-hmm. if they never say it. What? You think? Oh, I didn't think that. I don't know. If I was a mom, I'd probably have a favorite. Like, most most parents are very good about like never saying not ever it. saying yeah. it or not ever like yeah. even indicating it. I'm trying to trick my mom into admitting she has a favorite child, but I genuinely don't think she does. Mm-hmm. I think her favorite child is whichever one's near her at any given time. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. I, yeah, I don't know. I I just feel like I'm I'm not surprised that she has a favorite child. Mm-hmm. I just am surprised that she admitted. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Robin, who's your mom's favorite child? I don't know. She's never said. I'm not really interested in finding out, to be honest. Denise, who's your favorite child? I wonder if she means that she loves her most now or if she's always loved her she's most. She's always loved her most. Because it's different. If Because if she says that she loves her most now, then, like, I get it because Polly was in a cult and Polly is messed up and it does messed up things and literally drowned Alice and she never had Charles yeah. or whatever. So, like, I get it if she means, like, I love you most now. That might make sense. 
But like, if she's always loved Betty, then it's like, you messed up Polly. When, yeah, then you messed up Polly. Polly got pregnant just like you did. And all of these terrible things happened. And so like, if it had happened to Betty, would Alice have sent her to the, to the sisters? Like, obviously she did send her to the sisters, but I mean, like in that moment, would she have? Because like, without all the cult stuff, without all the blah, 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 Mm -hmm. Would she have sent, like, if Betty had gotten pregnant in her teens, would she have sent her yeah. to the sisters? Because I don't think, like, I think Alice says in season one that, like, when we find out, maybe it was season two, when we found out that she, like, had mm-hmm. a kid or whatever, like, she said that she was sent to the sisters, right? But then when yeah. we got to Midnight Club, it didn't seem like she was sent to the sisters. I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. So she gets home. Alice is acting normal again. She says the boys are out back cute and she gets a letter like you said in your thing sam she has not opened her letter but i was like it just says riverdale like government of riverdale bank of riverdale unclear who knows did it say riverdale community college i I know that didn't read that it just said riverdale and it had like a picture of a building okay so i wasn't sure exactly what it was um i don't know the fact that betty didn't get into yale but rory gilmore did is (laughs) disgusting upsetting (laughs) Um, it also has the date on. There's a lot of, now that they're giving us dates and years, um, there was a lot of it this, uh... I'm upset. This episode. I didn't ever want to know what year this was set in. Um, so she gets a $5,000 check from Alice, and it actually says in the notes that it's college fund repayment one of ten. I missed the one of ten. Wait, she what? took I don't know if it's like supposed to be like the same amount every time, but like that implies that she took fifty thousand dollars from Betty and that Betty had fifty thousand dollars. Betty get fifty thousand dollars. There's no way right? that was her college fund that her parents saved up for her. I don't I don't feel like fifty thousand dollars is enough for American schools. Am I wrong? It's not enough. My sister it has had to pay way, way more than that. Right? Yeah. I guess, like, yeah. My... Like, it would have been plenty for me because I went to community college first mm-hmm. and then only did two years at university. So I only owed, like, $15,000, but I'm still paying that off and I graduated in 2015. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, from what I understand with, like... I mean, I don't know how much rent your college was, but from U of A, what I understood was without, if you're not boarding or anything, it was, I think, about $4,000 a semester, mm-hmm. four to five. <laughs> Robin's like, right, your college was not that expensive. No, it was more expensive than that. What? Really? Yeah. Then well, I'm wrong. Okay. <laughs> I think I did. I, I mean, this was 10 years ago. I had, I think I did 16, either $16,000 a semester or $16,000 a year. It wasn't a semester. Okay. So if it was, was $16,000 a semester, you'd be broke. Yeah. So I did, it was $16,000 a year. And so that's I was right. Well, that's like. Four to five a semester. That's it. 16 divided by 2 is 8. I didn't go to college. I don't know how many semesters there are. You did go to college. <laughs> I went I went to special college. Okay. So that's $8,000 a semester. I didn't go to fucking school for math. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was the right oh, time yeah. to say that. That's true. But yeah, so I did $16,000 a year. So that's $32,000. And then I, but I did four years. So that's. $64,000 and I had extra? That can't be right. I don't think that's right. I didn't have a college fund, um, but anyway. But then I had, I just, my dad, I mean, my dad worked for the city, but I don't, I just don't know how they so, swung yeah, that. I told you it was 5300 Then where the heck did my $16,000? So I include books? Bro, do you think that's maybe like overall? Maybe it was sixteen. Okay. Maybe it was $16,000 per t- 
per did you guys, diploma. Did you guys yeah. live on campus? No, no, I lived at home. Okay, I also lived at home. My sister's is higher than my, like, much higher than mine was because yeah, so she my lived sis- on campus. My sister as well. Um, You're right. I think it was $16,000 per two years. So yeah. I did, so I did $32,000 in all. And then I had a little bit extra yeah, look, when I was done. U of A tuition year one total for school is $8,700. Mm-hmm. So times that by four and that's how much school costs in Canada. Then that's in, in, that's in Canadian money too. But in America, when my sister was going to Gonzaga, which is a private university, it was something like $42,000 a year, Mm-mm. which is the most insane thing I've ever heard in my life, which is why I want everyone to know that you don't have to go to a private school, go to community college and then transfer up or just go to community college because let's be real, diplomas don't mean anything these days and neither do degrees. Mm -hmm. I went to community college and then transferred. And there you go. And uh, I have a great job. There you go. Yeah. Because um, the thing that no one will tell you about school is, yeah, go, but don't pay a lot for it because you will all be on the same playing field unless you're super rich and have connections. Yeah. And especially if you don't, like, people expect you to know what you want to do immediately out of high school, which, like, is so unrealistic. You can't pick a career when you're 18 and immediately know that that's what you want to do for the rest of your life. So if you don't know what you want to do for the rest of your life, it's okay. and you want to <laughs> take a break, or if you want to go to community college and just, like, get some education Open that studies. isn't crazy yeah. expensive do work. that <laughs> work and do things at your own damn pace mm-hmm. also if you want to go to technical college that's amazing do you know how much money Be technical that. like people who go to technical I college wish i had gone to technical college yeah. they literally make so much money like people like especially like shows like this for example really show like class inequality mm-hmm. especially in like jughead's case where it's like oh well you're the poor the poor boy it's it's the perfect example of private school versus public school in america and like i think the thing that this show is not demonstrating here is that it is just as valid to do the community college thing and i'm hoping that maybe they do that with betty okay where like she does like some community college and then transfers to yale after mm-hmm. because you should not go bankrupt getting an education and the way that our like the western education system is set up is you have to go broke and suffer in order to get an education that you are then going to be underpaid for when you prove that you have it in the workforce like this system is set up for you to fail so game the system mm-hmm. do do something at your own friggin' pace because you're in a rush to go nowhere right now mm-hmm. like especially like in this exact like reality we're living in don't screw yourself over so like with Betty, that tuition's not going to get her anywhere. Like, it's $50,000. What's it going to get her? One year of college? I don't uh, know. And, like, Veronica's sitting here being like, I'm going to go to Harvard. And now she's like, I'm going to go to Yale. And that's not a problem for Veronica because she's loaded. Right. And yeah. she had the connections to get into Harvard in the first place, which she did not want, which we'll get to with her storyline. Yeah. But, like, oof. Yeah. That's, that's really how it works. That's really how a lot of the Ivy League school works is connections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just to finish up this storyline, um, what will this change? I hope that it sets Alice and Betty back on a track to like being on each other's team okay. and like yeah. having a healthy relationship. But I just wish that we didn't have to like take two steps forward. I mean, two steps back to take one step forward. And I mean, the nice thing about Riverdale is that next week they'll probably have forgotten that any of this ever happened with Alice and she'll be back to being regular Alice. Sure. I am willing to make peace with all of this garbage that they've saddled her with as long as now that we've talked about it, we don't have to talk about it anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Like, may this be the end of the Alice plot uh, Mm -hmm. plot holes. Yeah. Like, lay it to rest. 
But like, here's hoping. Yeah. So like, what does this change? Hopefully Betty and Alice are okay now. And Betty has money. And Betty has her money back. Yeah. Which well, I'm some sure will come into play at some point. Yeah. I think there in the other storylines, there are more things that may or may not change. But for that, it's like, hopefully Betty and Alice are reset. Yeah. And, and we're okay again. Yeah. Okay. Archie. Archie. Let's try and go through this one fast because there's not a lot to it. Yeah. Okay. Can I just say off the record, um, I mean on the record, mm-hmm. but off topic, but on topic. So I'm just talking. Mm-hmm. Um, Archie's therapy session, I think even though it wasn't good in terms of his actions, it was a great, great look inside his mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I felt for like a lot of these was just like, ah. Uh, mm. mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Archie. Archie gets sent to Mrs. Burble after falling asleep in class, which never happened to me, even though I fell asleep in class all the time, but whatever. She asks why he hasn't applied to colleges, and he responds that Riverdale needs him. He's a good boy. He just wants to carry on his dad's legacy, which in his mind involves putting on a mask and being a vigilante. (laughs) Sure. Oh, she was like, she was like, oh, so a vigilante? He was like, uh, no. Archie goes cruising, which like we're we don't have time to unpack all of that. But I got time. I got probably time. will. I got time. <laughs> she asks who takes care of him when he's taking care of everyone else. Sometimes comic book heroes create personas to deal with tragedy, just like Archie has. Archie just wants to save people the pain and anger he feels at his father's death but his mom is still in danger from his own actions. Mrs. Burble urges him to give up being a vigilante and focus strictly on the center. So Archie goes home, tells Mary he's moving out, and moves to the community center until he can be sure she's safe. He starts a tip line for troubled youth, too, and he's going to hang up his hood. His first tip comes from a boy whose mother is being abused. Even though he totally said five minutes ago that he'd give up being a vigilante, he still slaps that bad boy on and heads out to save lives. <laughs> That's my son! I respect him. So, nothing changed to this storyline. Like, yeah. Just to answer your question. Yeah, so if we want to go all the way to the end, what did this change? Nothing. Not a lot. Nothing. Um, Basically, Archie just finally got to talk through a lot of the anger that he's been feeling. Mm-hmm. Other than that, like, not really much has changed. Like, she said, stop doing that, and he's like, okay. and th- But he doesn't stop. So it's like, it's really just like, now we have an anonymous tip line, and that's really all that changes. Yeah. yeah. And I think Archie understands the consequences of his actions more than he did before because of Mary. And now he's like, okay, to make sure that I am the only person in danger, I'm gonna move into the community center. But that's something that Miss Burble said that I thought was really, really good was when she said that it's like kind of like addiction where he understands that he like fully understands the very negative consequences mm-hmm. that are coming from this, but he's doing it anyway. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting, but but it's also like he's not but it's different from addiction in the way that he's not doing it anyway for himself. He's doing mm-hmm. it anyway for the town and for other people. Well, I would kind of switch the descriptors in Veronica and Archie's storylines. Mm-hmm. I would say that Archie is obsessed with being a vigilante. Mm-hmm. And I would say that Veronica is addicted to the drama with mm-hmm. her father. Sure. But I would not imply that Veronica is obsessed with Hiram. Because right. I think at any given turn, she's trying to get away from him. Mm-hmm. But she's addicted to the lifestyle he provides. Right. Whereas Archie, I think, is obsessed with trying to live up to his father's legacy, trying to protect people, and trying to work through his anger, even though he has no proper, like, psychological way to do that. Mm-hmm. But mm. I don't know if he's addicted. He is probably addicted to I being feel, a hero. I, I mean, I feel like he's addicted to his cause. Yeah. And, like, I think it's the only, like, I think it's possibly become an addiction because it is the only way he feels like he's doing something making a difference yeah and like doing something for his father yeah and so he like he does save one kid but then he has to save another because there's always another kid and he's like 
Yeah. I have to keep doing this. I feel like addiction has such a negative con- or connotation that I'm like, I don't know if I, yeah, I don't, I don't like that word for this. Well, I, I mean, well, pro- it, it also isn't healthy yeah. that he's. But the problem is that addiction is more, I think as we've come to ter- like learn in psychological terms, addiction is more of a disease than it is anything else. Mm-hmm. Oh, so sure. to imply that Archie has an addiction that I think that's why I went with obsession because I think psychologically it's not as much like an addiction in the same vein that drinking or gambling is an addiction. But I don't think there's a treatment for Archie in the same way there's a treatment for those sort of like traditional things we would associate with addiction. Sure. I could just be talking at my ass. Mm-hmm. But that's what I perceive. So should we go into the details? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So he's asleep in class because he doesn't sleep at night like an idiot. Heckin' big moon. Um, and we've got Dr. Phylum. So we've actually heard of Dr. Phylum slash been in, he's been in 102 and 204. He's the physics teacher. He also seems like a jackass. He's not in the comics. I am a little confused about why he sent him to Burble and not Honey. Also, can we talk about how Dr. Phylum literally knows that Archie's dad was killed and he looks him in the eye and says, I don't care about your mental health. Get out of my class. Mm. What an ass. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh... So Archie is case 70. He says he's not interested in college and she mentions that he has to, that she's going to have to tell somebody if she learns that he's putting himself in danger. And I'm like, okay, FP already knows though. Yeah. Like who who are you going to tell who's going to stop him? You know? Well, does FP know that, yeah, FP does know that Archie's the masked one, right? Um, no, maybe not. No, he just knows that Archie's bringing kids in. He doesn't know that Archie's the master vigilante. But even if he was, what would FP do so about sorry, it? So sorry, so sorry. The Dark Toque? Yeah, the Dark Toque. The Dark Toque. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such a Dark Toque. Different from the Black Hood in that we've used synonyms. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, my favorite part of Archie's storyline. <laughs> why don't we talk about how Mrs. Burble assumes that Archie is doing cruising in Fox Forest. Um, it's probably because Archie has a boyfriend. So okay. listen. Here's the thing. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. I don't want this to be an easy gay joke. Yeah. Because if she says you're cruising in Fox Forest, I don't want this to be a no homo or like, haha, no, that's funny. I'm not like gay and like going to hook up in the woods. I want it to be, hey, maybe this is a storyline we could explore with Archie. <sighs> well, I don't. I don't think they did it in a no homo way. I don't think so either. But but why bring up like, cruising in Fox Forest of mean, all things? Oh boy. I, I don't think they're going to explore it because I don't think that they're that bold. They're not brave enough. They're, they're not. not that brave. Like everyone is a coward across the board in Hollywood right now. And that means you too, Disney. Come at me with your mouse dollars. I have nothing to lose because I have no money. The fact I'm going that they, to mouse jail. I'm going to mouse jail and I'm ready. The fact that they didn't make uh, Finn and Poe canon in Star Wars, and we could just cowards, tell, you cowards, cowards. But yeah, I don't think they're gonna like go there. Um, but I do think that Archie responded in a in a very chill way. No, that was Archie, not like, yeah, yeah, I'm not gay. No, uh, I think I worded that wrong in ser- in terms of like, no, Archie did not do that. It was the assumption. I was like, is the assumption supposed to be the joke? Like, why bring this up? What is this supposed to imply? And it's like either you bring this up because it's so outlandish that Archie would never do this, and Archie was cool about responding, or. The one that I would prefer, which is, hey, maybe Archie has a little bit of a bye vibe. Maybe Archie's Archie gonna does have a bye vibe. Fox forwards, so he doesn't have to look for anybody because there's somebody right beside right him. Right under his nose. That's perfect for him. <laughs> I'm just saying, he, you guys. like, like literally, mm-hmm. right there. 
So I don't know if it's this deep, but potentially this could be the origin of her saying that. Yeah. Like I said, I don't know if it's this deep. It could just be me trying to make it make sense. But like, we know that she has spoken to Kevin. Mm -hmm. And so she probably knows that cruising in Fox Forest is occurring because of Kevin. And so this could be the writers being like, she knows this because she talked to Kevin. Remember how we said that she talked to Kevin? Yeah. And I don't know if that's relevant or if it's even that deep, but I'm just saying that 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 could be what's going on. But I also would like it to just be like the beginning of them potentially exploring this queer man who is just waiting to come out to all of us. (laughs) I would love it. I mean, clear shoe squeaking for sure. I got my nose in my pocket, Mm -hmm. but like, please. He is in such a happy relationship with Veronica right now, and I'm not trying to ruin it, but no. also, like, like there's literally nothing interesting happening no. in their their relationship. It has not happened yeah. for a very long time. And I don't want anything bad to happen to them. And I mean, but... that's what we were talking about even during the episode is. Or even, no, it was during our TV Co. stream, which, <laughs> download TV Co. to watch our live streams every Tuesday at 7pm PST. Thank you so much. Woo. Jughead and Betty's relationship is always kept fresh. Mm-hmm. And they're always doing something new, and they're always doing something that involves their relationship, but is also, like, a fun mystery. Whereas, like, Archie and Veronica, I guess, like, they had some tension when Hiram was straight up trying to murder Archie. But even then, I was just like, this sucks. The only thing that they could, like, make interesting about Varchi was literally putting them with different people. And then it was interesting again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so when they came out together, it's like, if you ship Varchi, all the power to you. I'm happy that they're a happy couple. I just don't find them interesting because they don't really do anything, like, right. as a couple. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, it's important that, like, we reiterate. Like, we may dunk on, like, a lot of stuff in this show. But unlike Stranger Things, where we straight up hate Jonathan, mm-hmm. we try really hard to, like, not hate anyone on the show or not hate a ship. Wait, other than Hiram, but we're allowed to dunk on Hiram. Yeah. Everyone's um, allowed to dunk on Hiram. Yeah. It's it's not that, like, I said it sucked, but it's actually not that Varchi sucks. It's just that narratively and, like, storytelling-wise, they have no intrigue. Mm-hmm. And that could be fine, except that a lot of this show just uses their relationship to do exposition. Yeah, it's, like, she's, like, Archie needs things for his for his community center. She's a sugar mama. And so he literally just, like, she's just his bank account. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's not what I want for her. No. Like, she has her own storyline, but, like, when she comes into Archie's storyline, then she's it's just the awesome. bank. Then she's just the bank. And I mean, I think the cool thing would be, and this is what sucks about Veronica's storyline, is it would have been dope if she had gone into the community center storyline story with Archie. Mm-hmm. And then the Archie would have been so fascinating and interesting and, like, Let's go. Like, these are these two, like, rebel rousers trying to save a bunch of kids. And Yeah, like, they could have been, like, Riverdale's power couple. But now that it's just, like, Riverdale isn't, I mean, Riverdale. Veronica is not a character in any storyline. She's a bang in Archie's. She's a prop in Hiram's. Mm -hmm. And she's not a person. Right. So we, yeah, right. Every every episode we say, okay, time for Veronica's storyline. But what we really mean is Hiram's storyline. Yeah. Exactly. So, Varchi itself has the potential to be interesting. It's just that this show constantly squanders it, because I don't think it knows what to do with Veronica. Yeah. If anything could happen to Varchi, like, in my dreams, like, the, the like, perfect world for me, for Varchi, would be Veronica with Reggie. Because mm-hmm. Reggie needs somebody right now. Mm-hmm. She could be that person for Reggie. I want Veronica with Reggie. I just want Archie with Monroe. He's, he's already Archie. with him. Like, last 
season when we like brought up Marchie and we made up Marchie, we were like, ha ha, Marchie. But like, I mean, like, not this- ha ha, Marchie though. Like, we want it. Yeah. But we know we're that. Like, what if Marchie, yeah, ha we're ha like, ha? We're like, but we know we're never gonna get it, but like, to us, it's real. It's but like, like Marchie, just kidding, ha ha, unless. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. <laughs> but that, like, it feels like this whole season is the unless. Like, yeah. so this whole season is them being like, we could give this to you potentially, but Archie's with Veronica. You they're, know what I mean? It's very much, they're just friends. And I'm like, no, they're not. <laughs> like, if, if Archie wasn't with Veronica, would we not have a storyline of him, like, being like, ah. Wait, I have a question. Okay. Is there a Marchie fandom other than us? I don't know. <laughs> there should be. Like, on the, like, you're on Tumblr more than I am. I know, but I don't, like, really look it up. Are there Riverdale, like, stan accounts? Like, is Marchie a thing? I just, like, don't know if, like, it's called Marchie. Or if I'm anybody even knows a, sh- how, like, has a shit name for them. Oh. Mad dog. Archie. I think you'll find- (gasps) Boxing boyfriends, boxing boyfriends, boxing boyfriends. Somebody's here. Yes! It's not just us. Oh, this is a different thing. Hold up. Riverdale, Archie Andrews, Mad Dog. That was in March. (laughs) And this is- Oh, Archie and OC. And the character's first name starts with M, and so that's why it's called Marchie. I don't even know what this is. That's Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, if I search Marchie, it's just like one thing. So I've searched Mad Dog Archie and yeah. I'm having way more success. Uh-huh. Um, oh, man. These sets? people get me. They get me. <laughs> like, there's no ship name that I can see. Right. This is, like, just kind of like a gen. But some of them are gen, but some of them are actual ship. Wait. Oh like, this God, is wait. actually, this is actually, like. <laughs> like, do you have a ship name, though? Look, like, this moment? That says Madrus. 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 <gasps> Wait, shut the up. Excuse me, are you It's not talked about a lot, but Madru Oh my god, it's called Madru's! We've been calling it Marchie this whole time. Oh my god! We have there are people here! There's aesthetics! Oh my my god, God. wait, this is good though? Oh my god! Wait, this is good. Archie and Monroe aesthetic, that's why it's but it can't be called Madrews anymore because he doesn't go by Mad Dog. So like do they still call him? Uh let me go to this blog. No, they still call him Madrews. Look, in this tag. That's fine. Um so we're on um Tumblr.com slash Madrews. Um shout out. Um I don't know if anyone knows who this person is, but they're my new favorite person. Wow. Like look, they're doing the gift set that I said I was gonna do. I said I was gonna do a gift set of Archie and Monroe in every episode. But now I don't have Wait, to. so we're not uh, insane. We're not no, insane. We're not. <gasps> we're not insane. We're not insane. Oh, oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> Madrews. It's revolutionary that people were shipping two men together. We've never, no one's ever done that before. <laughs> I'm so happy. People get it. They get it. I love that for us. I'm so happy. Okay, okay, are we ready to move on? Yes. So a few of the um, uh, superheroes that Archie brings up, Mr. Justice who is a ghost who was murdered in 1040. Like, basically, he was just, like, in a list of superheroes from Red Circle Comics, and Mr. Justice was a superhero who is actually just a ghost, and the comet was a scientist who gains the power to fly and shoot disintegrating beams from his eyes after injecting himself with a gas lighter with then a gas lighter than hydrogen. So, like, these two characters are, like, really weird choices for Archie to choose in his list. Mm -hmm. The Comet is a fictional character that first appeared in Pep Comics number one in January 1940, possibly the first superhero killed in the line of duty. He died in issue 17, which also introduced his brother, a brutal hero called the Hangman. So... The comet, like, literally didn't even last very long. Like, these are just really, 
Like I love that level of nerd, though. They're just, like, two choices that, like, they probably just chose because they sounded cool. Yeah, probably. Not actually thinking anybody was going to actually look it up because yeah. these are two really weird choices from the list that I saw. Um, and then he also mentioned The Red Circle, which is actually just the comic publication that mm-hmm. um, publishes all of these comics. They talk about his superhero fantasy, a tragedy, and a hero rises out of rage. And I remember we were watching it last night, and she was like don't don't tragedies always happen to superheroes and i was like oh a tragedy yeah. happened to him and she's like and and their superheroes or whatever are like born out of rage and i'm like that happened to him checking all the boxes she gets it do you she like gory and it said archie x mad dog or monroe does it say monroe or mad dog no it says mad dog guys eli gory is one of us oh my god oh my god what if there's instagram edits Oh my god. Guys, okay, listen. Tin hat on, but Marchie is real. Marchie uh, is Marchie real. I'm not calling it Madrews because his name isn't Mad Dog and also yeah. I don't think that flows as well. I don't know. Marchie is just in my heart now. Yeah, but um mm-hmm. also it's called Madrews, so um cool. Mm-hmm. But if Eli Gory <sighs> Plus Please 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 It's all I want out of life. I found that everybody but Betty is really mean to Mrs. Burble. Yeah. Tea. Like, super mean. Like, Betty was like, hi, Mrs. Burble, I just wanted your help. And everyone else was like, frick you, Mrs. Burble, you're telling me what I know. Um, <laughs> you say, right. don't tell me what I know, Travis. Yeah, but to be <laughs> fair, they're teenagers and they're all kind of awful sometimes, so mm-hmm. it checks out. I feel like Betty went of her own volition. Yeah, and everyone else And had. everyone else was like, um, go to the therapist or we're gonna expel you. Well, yeah. Veronica went of her own volition too, but she was also really mean, well, even though we know that she's gone to see her before. Yeah, well, anyone brings up Veronica's daddy issues mm-hmm. and she knows she's it's gonna be spicy. It's just like you shouldn't talk to adults this way. Yeah. Oh my god. What? Sorry, I found Eli Gory's Instagram post and yeah. Gina Torres commented on it. I'm sorry. <laughs> she said, I'm looking away right now. Dot dot dot. I mean in a minute or two. <laughs> <laughs> Gina Torres first trap. It's funny. Um, also, he talks about how much he loves his Riverdale family all the time. Yeah. So we literally appreciate my Riverdale family genuinely always showing love and support for each other. Hashtag real friends. Wow. What the hell? Keep him forever. We love a supporting and lovely cast. I want to die. This is making me very happy. Please, like, let's keep him forever. Also, he posted this and said, name a more iconic duo. I'll, I'll wait. Of Oh, Matt. Margie. <sighs> Guys, it's real. It That's is real. so cute. Uh, Archie mentions that he feels like an idiot the way that she's talking to him, but, like, I don't think she's talking to him like he's an idiot. No. I think she's talking to him like he is a delicate kid who is trying really hard to seem like he's got it under control. Yeah. Yeah. He says his main thing is that he just doesn't want anyone else to feel the way he feels. Wholesome. And he wants to help and he puts his loved ones in danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talk about addiction, and she says that he needs to get more volunteers and start an anonymous tip line, which he does. So Archie decides that he's going to move out to protect Mary. He mm-hmm. says that he is 18, so we've missed multiple Archie birthdays. We sure did. Um, went zooming past him, but now we know. It's interesting that Archie calls FP Sheriff Jones to Mary. Like, I'm like, yeah, wait, why did I mean, why just, did they do that? I just call him FP, but whatever. Well, no, I get it. Archie's a respectful kid. So Archie's already made posters and everything, and we've got this old-ass answering machine happening, so they're still using, even though they've started to give us years, they're still using, like, really old stuff. I love when they do that. And he's like, no more dark toque. Not gonna happen anymore. But Betty kind of did the same thing, where she, like, 
put the black hood into the fire and then took it out of the fire. True. Mm-hmm. So I kind of expected him to take it back out, especially because it didn't go all the way into the garbage can. It only went halfway into the garbage can. Right. Yep. So I always I knew it was going to come back out. So he gets a tip uh, that someone is hurting this kid's mom, and so he picks the dark toque back up, but he doesn't put it on. I mean, he's gonna. Yeah. Uh, and then my last thing was, what will this change? But we already mentioned that. Not a lot. Not a lot. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I was looking at a picture of a dog. Yeah. <laughs> Mad dog? No, it was uh, KJ's dog. But oh. Oh, that is um, sad. That's upsetting. Um, you mentioned it in the last storyline. Would you talk about TV Co. a little bit? Oh, my God. I would love to. TV Co. is an app where you can basically hang out with your favorite creators, a.k.a. um us. Maybe. <laughs> um, maybe, I hope. Maybe. Uh, uh. This isn't a visual podcast, but TV Co is <laughs> hey. every every Tuesday. Um, we hop on TV Co and we rewatch last week's, like the previous week's episode, to get ready for the new episode on Wednesday. And we go live at seven PM PST. It's usually a mukbang, so we're eating and chatting, and we just watch through the episode and kind of like go over our theories and kind of hang out and talk about like the episode and what's going to happen next. And it's just a good ass time. So. Download TV Co, search the Aficionados or Riverdale, follow us, and join us. Yeah. And uh, luckily, also, if you've missed some or, like, you've missed a specific episode that you, like, really wanted to see us react to or whatever, um, all of our broadcasts are saved. So you can just go on our profile and under saved broadcast, every single one of them is there. And you can actually, um, from last week, it was really interesting. We were getting ready to, um, (laughs) damn it. No, I thought if I said it like in a serious enough tone, it would, I would get away with it. Um, Sam set the fire alarm off. So I was making dinner. Yeah. So, um, that was really great. Um, I did nothing. I just stood there and held my ears closed. In my defense, <laughs> I didn't burn anything. Um, Ikea meatballs just have to be cooked at 435 degrees. Um, so when you open That's the outrageous. oven, they, 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 there is some, a little smoke. Just a little, just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. It's yeah. just a little chopstick. Yeah. Um, I have to pee. Okay. I am I'm gonna go and follow Madrus immediately. You know we beach. <laughs> follow beach. You know we be doing it, beach. Look at this. Look at that face. Hello? KJ, what are you doing, boy? KJ, what are Looking you Looking at his boyfriend. I'm gonna spend some time in that tag, that's for sure. Good. Alright, Cheryl? Cheryl. I did Cheryl. Me in a daze. Sure, Cheryl. Sure, 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 Cheryl, Cheryl, Cheryl. I don't remember what I wrote. <laughs> okay, cool. Alright. Cheryl. Principal Honey decides to take the Vixens away from Cheryl because she well she's a little overwhelmed. Uh she wants to get the Vixens back, so she agrees to go see Miss Burble to am- assess her mental stability. Cheryl w- keeps her walls up pretty high, but Burble climbs them pretty quickly and actually gets Cheryl to open up about the absolute hell she's been up through over the past four years. Cheryl admits that she talks to Jason's body and that he talks back to her. Burble is very gentle with Cheryl, which is exactly what she needs uh, to start climbing climbing out of the deep pit that the writers have thrown her into. She tells Cheryl that it's okay to miss her brother and that it doesn't make her crazy, and she's being haunted by grief more than anything else. The secrets come pouring out of Cheryl at this point, and she admits to that she thinks she's being haunted by her uh, other dead brother, Julian, which she is has been told that she ate in the womb. <laughs> um, Burble thinks that someone is going 
is doing this in order to make Cheryl think she's crazy and brings helps bring her back to reality by telling her that she could take a chimera test to see if she actually absorbed a sibling in the womb or if someone is just lying to her. Cheryl makes progress on her mental health, but she needs time to recover, and Burble recommends that someone else take over the vixens. Uh, Cheryl has a good cry about it in the locker room. She's valid. Uh, later it pops, Cheryl opens her chimerism results and it comes back negative. Someone please tell me what was the point of this story then. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad it's not true, but now maybe we can get the real Cheryl and Tony back and maybe they can get down to business uh, of investigating who the hell is in their house. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I mean, I don't have a lot to say about this other than like, I'm glad Cheryl finally questioned her own reality. I just think that Cheryl needs to be talking to Miss Burble actively. Like, yeah. like yeah. this one meeting is not going to fix everything for her. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like they're going to act like it did, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Cheryl will be back to normal now. Which, which is like, thanks, I guess. But it's, it just feels like they... It feels like, especially in the case of, like, Cheryl and Archie, they're like, okay, this was really super needed, but... Uh, and, and now they're fixed. And now they're better and it's just like okay but this didn't i don't know it just it felt like it was needed five episodes ago yeah sure yeah and mm-hmm. before cheryl started keeping her dead brothers a pet sure sure that was more than five episodes more than five ago, episodes ago, sure. ago yes but yeah like i don't know it's just it feels very too little too late mm. in in this like i'm glad that it happened but i'm like it should have happened sooner. Mm-hmm. Tea, yeah. So Mr. Honey is basically saying, Cheryl, you have had too many absences. And she says, um, excuse me, I have uh, had lots of family deaths. And uh, as much as I understand that, how long can you use that as an excuse to not do the things you don't want to do? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, her mom's a murderer. Oh, Betty's dad's murderer. She went to school. Yeah. So Different, different strokes. Yeah, it just seems like, it just seems like Cheryl isn't really that bothered by it just because like she didn't she like hated her mom and then she like kind of hated her dad and like you know like all these things that are happening like she doesn't seem to be actually that bothered obviously she really is but like when like I understand from Mr. Honey's perspective that she's like excuse me actually like bad things have happened to me so like you can't like blame me when she doesn't seem that bothered yeah you know which makes sense as to why he sent her to Burble, I guess. But it all, yeah, I was gonna say like that's probably part of the issue is she has uh, she's dissociated so much from it that she's just like I'm fine. Yeah, like, no, you're not. Mm-hmm. You're not fine. You need decades of counseling. But if she's telling every everybody that she's fine and she's like telling herself that she's fine, but then when she wants to get out of something, she says, "Excuse me, I'm not fine." It's like you can't just you can't just pick when you are and are not fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just to get out of things. That's true. I mean, it is sort of weaponized grief, but at the yeah. same time, considering that Cheryl has had no proper psychological assessments, mm-hmm. no therapy, it kind of, I think that in itself is a preservation technique. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she has to divorce herself from those things at some point and then also use it at other points in order to just keep living. Yeah. Um, he says that he does, she doesn't seem to be emotionally fit for the vixens, and I um, have to agree. Uh, and he also says that he's going to put a certified adult in charge of the Vixens. Uh, which certified adult do you think will be in charge of the Vixens? I hope it's not Honey. Oh, no. I hope- I don't know. Who- 
Oh god, is it gonna be freaking Alice? Um, Sam has a thought. Are Betty and Veronica still in the Vixens? I think they I are. Think so. are didn't she kick them out at some point? I don't think she kicked them out. No. They're technically supposed to still be Vixens, but Betty hasn't shown up for any Vixen work in, like, two seasons. As far as we know. Yeah. Because um, I feel like earlier this season we, like, saw them in the uniforms. This season? I thought so. I don't know. I know. I feel like the last time I saw anyone in a, in a Vixen uniform was the jail yard mm. thing. Oh, you had to bring that up. I, I sure did. I almost forgot at that which, happened. At which <laughs> Betty was not present. Um, ah, the good old days when Archie was incarcerated. <laughs> hey, hey, that's our son. We didn't like him back then. Yeah, we didn't. You calm down. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I Maybe Mary. Wait, guys, we're assuming hmm. that they're going to follow up on this. Right. Oh, that was, that was it's probably going to be an unnamed adult yeah, they, that we never see right. because no one that we care about actually is invested in the Vixens anymore. Exactly. If um, Grundy was still alive, oh boy, would I ever guess Grundy. Oof. Ooh. I would be like, yeah, they're going to ring back Grundy. Oof. Well, yeah. thank God she's dead. Yeah, she did. I don't know. If we if we do see it, it'll probably be Mary or Alice, but also... Maybe Sierra! Thank oh, you. That would be amazing. She'd be like, I was a vixen back in my day, or like, whatever. That would be so, so cute. cute. I don't see them here, but like, whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, Cheryl is case 72. Uh, she says that she, she offers her three buccaneers. Three buccaneers. I mean, nothing will ever be Glamour J egg for me, mm. but these... These candy names are pretty good. Pretty good. So she's like, so, have you ever talked to a professional about your mother's abuse, brother's murder, father's suicide, conversion therapy, organ harvesting cult, or a near-death experience? I'm tired just listening to that. Is Gina Torres confused? Yeah, imagine being Gina Torres. She must watch this show. Like, she has to have seen the show. Oh, yeah. Or, like, you get the script and you're like, huh? Like, she's basically just getting exposition of, like, random crap. That has been said, that has happened during this whole show in one episode. But I feel like if you read something like that in a script, you'd kind of be like, she I probably have to know what this is. Mm-hmm. She probably had a great time just like binging it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Binging it or just like catching up on like the pure chaos mm-hmm. of what she was getting into mm-hmm. and then just like listening to these kids rattle off these lines in like a completely serious way. Like, exactly. I'm impressed that she did not break. Every single take. Yeah. I would have. 100%. On Cheryl's file, it says that she's in grade 12. I think that was pretty clear already, but, like, we've had some confusion on what grade Cheryl is in before, so I just wanted to bring that up. Okay. Um, we know that she's got into, like, Highsmith College and everything now, so, like, we knew that. I just wanted to say. Uh, she mentions that Cheryl is very resilient, which I agree. Absolutely. Um, and she admits that, or Cheryl admits that she talks to Jason's corpse and she thinks he answers. He doesn't. No. No. He does not. Now, this was the other part of the therapy where I was like, okay, I call bull. Because her straight out telling Cheryl he's not talking back to you, what she should have said is, why do you think he's talking back? Or what what does he say? What does he say? How can we slowly break her of this thing? Not straight up, yeah, your brother's not talking to you. Because like, ghosts don't exist. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you have to gently bring someone about to that belief. You can't just slap them with it. You make a good point. But I do think that she was far more gentle with Cheryl than I expected anyone to be mm. about this. Oh, story. yeah, for sure. Because I, I I thought she handled it really well for the space that we've been given in right. this episode. Yeah. yeah. No, she did. Yeah. No, 100% she did. She was very gentle. The fact that she didn't run screaming at the idea of Cheryl keeping her dead brother as a pet was, you know, testament to that, you know? Also, I do like that they sort of addressed um, 
why he is now no longer like rotting. She called him taxidermy. So he's been like stuffed, embalmed and stuffed. Oh god. Yeah. But even then the human bodies still the 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 water in your skin yeah. would still well, they would they have they like wouldn't you, have taxidermied him like to be buried, right? Like no, does that mean that no. Cheryl had that done? Probably. Talk to Dr. Colonel Jr. Yeah, ask Dr. Colonel Dr. Jr. Girl. is not a taxidermy artist. He's a coroner. Ask your friend. <laughs> ask your friend, Dr. Colonel. See what he says. So she's like, have I always been crazy or did this like just start recently or whatever? And Miss Burble is like, what's the difference between this and like actual grave sites or like for, or like having ashes in your mantle or whatever? I'm like, yeah, okay, like for Cheryl, but like maybe not for Jason, you yeah. know? Like if I was Jason, I'd be like, I don't like this. Can like, you come just visit my my tombstone, please? Like, please stop doing this to my actual body. Yeah. And so she says she's haunted by grief and guilt, not by actual Julian. Somebody's trying to make you crazy. Um, and she's like, I think you're being gaslit. And she's like, <laughs> she was like, oh, oh, what's that? I was like, you used the word gaslight to Tony like in like three episodes ago, like but, literally okay. recently. And I was a little confused because she said like Ingrid Bergman, and I thought that she was talking about like an actual thing that had happened, but and it but it kind of was an example. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Ingrid so, Bergman was an. You looked it up, didn't you? Of course. Okay. Gaslight is a 1944 American psychological thriller film adapted from Patrick Hamilton's 1938 play Gaslight about a woman whose husband slowly manipulates her into believing that she's going insane. So that's the movie. And then if you Mm -hmm. go to Gaslighting as a Wikipedia page, Gaslighting is a form of psychological manipulation in which a person seeks person seeks to sow seeds of doubt in a targeted individual or in members of a targeted group, making them question their own memory, perception, and sanity. Using persistent denial, misdirection, contradiction, and lying, gaslighting involves attempts to dis- destabilize the victim and delegitimize the victim's beliefs. Yeah, beliefs. Mm-hmm. So the actual term gaslighting came from this movie, which mm-hmm. I yeah. was pretty pretty cool, pretty interesting. But she was supposed to know what it means. She used the word already. Literally. Yeah, I think... I think when Cheryl is around someone that she knows she doesn't have to be a bad bitch around, mm-hmm. she she kind of, like, will resort to, like, a more childish mm-hmm. state of, like, so she'll be like, like, Ingrid Bergman? Mm-hmm. Like, kind of, like, I'm continuing this conversation and I know what it is, but I also don't know what it is. Never heard of that. Yeah, like, it would have been different if, like, back in 404 she had been, like... Yeah, I sorry. I was just like trying to fool you, and then on the podcast we would have been like, "It's called gaslighting. She's gaslighting her." Yes, but like, and then we would have been like, "Oh, but she didn't know what gaslighting meant," or like right. whatever, you know. But the fact that she's already used it, I'm like, "Man, eh, okay, right." It's just it's just another one of those moments that like aids to the character inconsistencies that they do mm-hmm. with Alice and Cheryl all the mm-hmm. time, which is like, "Oh, for this episode, we need her to not know what that means because yeah. it's happening to her." But mm-hmm. even though we we had her doing it like till last week. Yeah, it's like, okay, sure. So someone is in the walls moving Julian, right? Now, where did that theory... An email. Penelope Blossom. Right. Okay. So that email was dead on, Mm -hmm. um, which means I think a lot of the other theories that we've gotten um, from our incredibly intelligent listeners are also accurate. Right. You know, the cameras, the hiding... what was another one that was really crazy that I really liked? Oh, crap. I'll remember it in a bit. So this is all just Jughead's book? Yep. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. So she's going to do her test for chimerism. Um, because just like an orphan black, if you are a chimera, you have two sets of DNA. Yes. Not just one. Yes. And Miss Burble does tell her that she's not going to allow her to have her vixens. And I think that was the right move. Yes. So Tony is reading the Amityville Horror in uh, Pops. 
So, The Amityville Horror is a book by American author Jay Anson, published in September 1977. It is also the basis of a series of films released from 1979 onward. The book is claimed to be based on the paranormal experiences of the Lutz family. I don't know if it's Lutz or Lutz, because I have met people with this last name who go by Lutz and who go by Lutz, so I don't know which one. Uh, But has led to controversy and lawsuits over its truthfulness. So, truthfully, like, like historically, on November 13th, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot and killed six members of his family at 112 Ocean Avenue a large Dutch colonial house situated in the suburban neighborhood in Amityville on the south shore of Long Island, New York. He was convicted of second-degree murder in November 1975. In December 1975, George and Kathy Lutz and their three children moved into the house. After 28 days, the Lutzes left the house, claiming to have been terrorized by paranormal phenomena while living there. Hmm. So that's what Amityville Horror is about. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that we can grab from that? For I mean, line? they're being terrorized in Thistle House. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's actually pretty relevant. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah. And uh, um, Shira believing that Julian is a ghost. Yeah. Also is really important there. But the fact that she's reading it after Cheryl has been told that Julian isn't a ghost and isn't real is interesting. I mean, I I love little homages like that. Like, you know, they don't always have to be like anything more than just sort of, hey, look at this little horror reference. But I do like the idea of doing a horror storyline with Cheryl and Tony. I just wish that they were doing it more thoughtfully. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. So Cheryl's already accepted to Highsmith. She was trying to get Tony accepted to Highsmith last semester or last season, if I remember correctly. So we don't know if like Tony didn't really speak as if she was also accepted into Highsmith yet. I assume she probably is. But maybe she is. And she's like, oh, promise you'll love me even if I'm a chimera. And Tony's like, I'm gonna love you forever or whatever. And I'm like, girl, if she hasn't left you yet, she's exactly. not gonna she's leave. She's not you. gonna go. Yeah. Exactly. She killed a man for you. Yeah. Like, she's in it for the long haul. You yeah. might as well put a ring on it. Um, the doctor that did this test for her is called Dr. Grady. I liked that um Ms. Burble mentioned that this doctor is a woman. Mm-hmm. I think it's really nice to put those little seeds in into like make it normal for people to think that the doctor is a woman you know what i mean yeah like just like ingrained sexism in people yeah when people say oh it's a doctor you're like oh Oh, i wonder what his name is yeah Yeah. or whatever you know so i like that they're just like she's like dropping this thing they're like oh by the way it's a girl yeah you know and i appreciate that happening because like i know in my brain i was like oh it's a boy doctor and then when she said i'll tell her that she should expect from you i was like i did i made a mistake (laughs) (laughs) and that's on me (laughs) i am my own enemy yeah so she's not a chimera um so was nana rose lying or was penelope lying both was it jason who absorbed julian and everyone's confused Maybe it was Jason. Or did Julian just never exist? And the doll is supposed to be Jason because it says JB. Like, is the doll Jason? But Jason didn't die. I know. So it's like... Like, he was grown. That's why I'm not really... Like, I'm just trying to put all of the solutions out there. You know what I mean? Like, either it's Jason who absorbed Julian and that's what happened. Or, Mm -hmm. like, Julian legit never existed and Nana Rose saw the JB and, like, got confused or something. But it's supposed to be Jason. Classic Nana Rose. Like, I don't know. I'm just putting it all out there. You know what I mean? I don't right. think we're ever going to get the answer to this. I don't know. I feel like we might. Okay. It seems like it's like the their main storyline. No, I mean in terms of whether Nana Rose lied about him or not. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see when we get the whole thing about Jason or Julian. Like, it depends on how much more questions we end up about yeah. like, having about Julian. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That'll let us know which questions will be answered. Okay. 
Okay, so Cheryl's storyline, what is changing? What's going to change? Um, she's going to stop, maybe stop uh, the whole Jason thing? Mm-hmm. Or at least, like, oh, I hope so. at least bury him. <sighs> at least, like, do it in a way that's a little more healthy, like visiting a gravesite. Mm-hmm. And just, like, mourning in healthier ways, I hope. And then I hope instead of, like, dead people shenanigans, they're going to actually find someone in their walls and, like... Right. It's going to be, like, a house wars kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, dead people shenanigans? Yeah. So... That's funny. <laughs> like, I'm just... I'm, I'm sick of all the death in their storyline, and I would... Bring back Penelope. I want her back. She's crazy. She, w- she will be back. And Nat Bolt is an incredible actress. Mm-hmm. She is. Yeah, I want her back, too. Cool. So now we're going to do Veronica. Oh, boy. Hi, welcome to Veronica's storyline, where literally nothing changed. Veronica and Hiram talk about Rum and Harvard, which is basically their entire plotline this episode. Veronica gets a call that she's been admitted to Harvard, but it's all thanks to Hiram. Veronica goes to see Mrs. Burble and reveals that she was accepted but isn't excited anymore. She'll never know if she got in on her own. Hiram didn't get her in out of kindness, but did it to be able to control her. She goes through Hiram's laundry list of crimes and says she despises him. But Mrs. Burble says she's actually obsessed with him and he with her. They make a bunch of Oedipus references and that basically boils down to Veronica needing to cut times with Hiram because she wants to break free of their toxic cycle. So she goes home and tells him that she's going to Yale, start a rival rum company and destroy him. I don't think that's what Mrs. Burble meant. <laughs> anyway, she's also going to Yale now. Okay. okay. Um, so to answer your question that you asked at the end of everyone, um, nothing changed. I feel like, I feel like Burble gave Veronica decent advice yeah, in that she, she just does need to like nothing will change until she actually cuts her father off for good and means it. She just doesn't take the advice. She exactly. doesn't take the advice. Like she Veronica thinks that Thank she's taking the advice, but she does not take the advice and we just enter into another round of the same story that they've been telling since Hiram got out of jail the first time, exactly. which is Hiram versus Veronica and uh, like I'm tired. She, she won this round, but it's it's just gonna be another round of them going at each other. And I'm like, do a trick. Do a trick. Like Miss Burble basically just told me things that I already knew. Like what's different at the end of the storyline? Veronica's starting a rum business, even though she's literally not even drinking age, but that never stopped her from owning a bar. Yep. And that's it. Like she yep. always kind of wanted to destroy her father, and she always was like trying to destroy him at business, right? Yeah. So like I'm. So yeah, that's it. Okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so uh, Hiram has his very first bottle of rum as like. A kind of trophy. Brittany, do you want to talk a little bit about the revelation we had about Hiram bringing alcohol into the speakeasy last episode? Oh, well, no, I don't remember. Well, we had had well, we had we, we uh, discovered that the alcohol that Hiram brought to the speakeasy oh. when he was having uh, his little drink with Alice and FP and Hermione. Um, was not Veronica's whatever she keeps on hand at the speakeasy. It was his own labeled rum. So, yeah, I was having, like, a huge problem with it last episode because I was like, you're literally, not only do you not own this establishment and you shouldn't be allowed down here, but also now you're also stealing. Yeah. So he wasn't stealing. He was definitely breaking and entering. For which sure. Pop, Absolutely. I guess, allowed him to do or whatever. Yeah. But he d- he wasn't stealing, so great, yay. Hey, that's one less crime. But that does make me really like that FP fully, like, breaks a bottle of Hiram's own rum and, like, was almost going to kill him with a bottle of his own rum. Yeah, yeah. that was iconic. was, like, pretty cool and it also makes sense as to why it bothered Hiram so much that FP wasn't drinking the rum. 
Yeah. Although at the end of this storyline, Veronica does say that um, this that the rum that you made before was way better than the garbage that you're selling right now. Because he's probably doing it in the cheapest way possible. Yeah, exactly. Because it's Hiram. Mm-hmm. Oh, fully. Miss Burble later says that Veronica seems to always come when she's called. I don't know how she knows that, but she's like, but I bet, like, but you always go whenever he calls you. And there's an example in this episode when she's walking by and he's like, hey, Veronica. And she's like, oh, hello. Exactly. And she just shows yeah. up, right? Hiram went to Harvard. Okay. Okay. It's literally like we've, this has never, literally never been said. It's just like the rum business. They're like, we need him to have a rum business. Okay. He's always had a rum business, you know? And then it's like, it's like, we need Hiram to, because we've said that Veronica wants to go to Hiram or wants to go to Harvard. Let's make Hiram go to Harvard. We've never spoken about it before, but Hiram's always gone to Harvard, you know? And we just like get these new things. Like, sure. Whatever. I guess. It's brand new this episode, but okay. So Hiram wants her to go to Harvard, not for pride, like not in the pride that like my daughter is like going in my footsteps. It's just like to control her, basically. Yes. So she's in class. Kevin's talking about game theory for some reason. It's for some reason. Adorable. And she's talking to Dean Kingsley. So I did some research. Okay. Um, the Dean of Harvard is actually currently Rakesh Karana since 2014. Okay. Um, he does say, Dean Kingsley, that is, he says that he's the Dean of Admissions. Okay. Um, in 2018, I don't know if it's still, if he is still the Dean of Admissions, but in 2018, the Dean of Admissions was William R. Fitzsimmons. Mm-hmm. So not Dean Kingsley. Right. Um, and then I went into the Harvard directory and there are only two Kingsleys and neither of them are Dean's. I mean, I just assumed they made that one up, but you went on a deep dive. Huh? I wanted to check. <laughs> okay. I mean, now that they're giving us years, like, I want to see exactly how much is accurate. That's fair. You know what I mean? That's yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Um, this is not, though. No. Dean Kingsley does not exist. <laughs> um, she's accepted to the class of 2024. Once again, a year that we've been given. Hiram did this. Uh, Butterflinger. That is so good. Butterflinger is... <laughs> I, would, I would love to have a Butterflinger. Right I'm now. I'm putting that out I there. Want right now. So Veronica's case 75. Um, I'm just like going right through this because we all know, like this is basically things that we already know and we've already talked about. It, it, there yeah. are plot points that have been over and over and over again mm-hmm. since Hiram was introduced. Yep. I do love all of this King Lear talk. Like um, she talks about how she thinks of her life as Shakespearean mm-hmm. and she's bringing, and Burble's bringing up her life as like Greek Greek tragedies. And so the fact that Veronica's the one who's talking about King Lear and about Shakespeare and then Burble's the one who brings up Greek, I thought that was really great. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been in King Lear. Oh, okay. I performed King Lear. So when she started talking about King Lear, I was like, I'm with you. She like quoted (laughs) King Lear with the whole like crack your cheeks. That's, that's King Lear. Okay. Um, so I was like, she's out here quoting my main man, King Lear. You're like, I understood that reference. He's not even, he's not a great guy, to be honest. (laughs) And she says that she's no one's Cordelia. So if you don't know the story of King Lear, it's like that classic story that like King Lear, he's a king, he has all of this land and he's about to step down and he has three daughters and he's like, how much do you love me? And so the first two daughters are like, we love you so much, dad. And he's like, okay, here's a bunch of land. And Cordelia is like, I don't even have any words to say how much I love you. And he like misconstrues it to think that like, oh, so you don't love me? When what, oh. she's, when what she's really saying is, I love you so much that I can't even say. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so he banishes her. Um, oh, we love the healthy father. And then, like, at the end, he's basically like, lol, never mind, Cordelia. And then she gets executed, and then he dies because he's upset that Cordelia died. It's like a, I oh mean, it's, it's, like, for Shakespeare, if if it's a comedy, everyone's in love at the end. And if it's a tragedy, literally everyone's everyone dead. is dead. Yeah. So that's just how it would be. You know, everybody has to be dead at the mm-hmm. end of it. But, um, so when she said she's no one's Cordelia, I was like, I get it. I'm proud of you. <laughs> 
I get it. I understood that. Mm -hmm. My friend Nicole played Cordelia when I was in King Lear. Who did you play? I played, um, so we, we did two Shakespeare shows. Um, it was like a summer Shakespeare in the Park type thing. Yeah. And so we did Twelfth Night and King Lear. And if you got like a larger part in Twelfth Night, then you got a smaller part in King Lear okay. and vice versa. So I played a larger part in Twelfth Night. And so I played um, the character of Oswald, who's like basically the um, messenger oh, the yeah, whole time. And I basically yeah. just get beat up a bunch. Um, oh. But I was a girl, and so I, so I was called Oswin. Cute. Right, right, yeah. right, So right, they right. call me Oswin. Clear which, Oswin Oswald. Yeah. So it basically, like, they allowed me to be named Oswin because it sounded like Oswald, and it had the same amount of syllables, which is really, really important in, yes. in Shakespeare's. Mm -hmm. It has to have the same amount of syllables. So they let me be called Oswin, and, um, yeah, basically my character just got beat up a lot and then murdered. Cool. Yeah. Cool, 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 and then cool, I died cool. and then I died in my friend Evan's arms, which had happened like in the past like two other plays that I had done, and I was like, Evan, you seem to keep killing me. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, I think you might be bad luck for me. Yeah, I think this isn't great for me. But yeah, so um I was I did King Lear and it was fun. It was that is really cool. Yeah. Love that about you. Yeah, it was great. She mentions that she is willingly living at home and <laughs> Veronica's like, I didn't consider that. And we have been asking about this mm -hmm. for seasons. Yeah. yeah. Because she briefly lived at Le Bon Nuit, and we were like, okay, so where's she gonna live next? And then she just moves home, and we're like, you moved back into an abusive household? What? What's up with that? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, like, it was fine when neither of her parents were living there. Like, that's and the just, thing. Also, also, she's loaded, and the four season, the five seasons is a hotel. Yeah. Get your own suite. Yeah. Like... <laughs> It's like Zach and Cody it. Literally, right? if she can own a business, she can buy a house. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, like, why don't you, like, grab another house on Elm Street and y'all can all be neighbors? That would yeah. be amazing. Archie could live there. Oh, no, Archie would put Veronica in danger. Never mind. Okay. She could just go move in with Mary. Wait, she should totally move in with Mary. I live... Yeah. I said yes, this during did. the thing. I was like, she should live with Mary and finally experience what supportive mom is like. Yes, I yep. love it. Um, so she starts talking about obsession, and she says that she wouldn't want to be anything like her dad. Um, we talk about the Oedipus Complex and the Electra Complex, so y'all have probably heard about it before, but I will talk about the Oedipus Complex now. Ugh. Um, so the Oedipal Complex, also known as the Oedipus Complex, is a term used by Sigmund Freud. In his, was an odd duck. Yeah, in his theory of psychosexual stages of development to, to describe a child's feelings of desire uh, for his or her opposite sex parent and jealousy and anger toward his or her same sex parent. It's also, like, super heteronormative. Yeah, I was about to yeah, say. Yeah, I was gonna be like, this is some straight people stuff. I was about to say also, but, like, ugh, but It's also already gross, but it's also, <laughs> yeah. But basically, like, I'm Wait, not- Wait, does that mean we're free of all of that trauma? Uh? Hmm? Things to think about. Well, that just means that you might have, like, weird stuff with your I don't your want you to finish that sentence, and then <laughs> hate your dad. Uh-uh. I do hate my dad. Yeah. But that's because he's a dick. Mm. Okay. Cool. That's fair. <laughs> um, this is, like, the nicer- definition that I chose. Okay. Because, like, this is the one that I chose that was, like, about, like, in actual children and, like, as a child, you, um, are, like, more, you, like, love. It's basically, like, being a daddy's girl and then, like, but, like, to the extra step that, like, you all, you hate your mom. Gotcha. Because she gets so much attention from your dad is yeah. basically, like, that, that sort of thing. So, like, that's, mm -hmm. like, in and children and then as you get older, it gets weirder. 
And I yeah. don't think Veronica displays any of that. I don't think so either. Because she doesn't hate her mom, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, so then if we talk about Electra, I thought that the Electra complex was going to be like a whole different thing. But it turns out it's just the girl version of the Oedipus complex. Oh. Yeah. So the Electra complex is a psychoanalytic term used to describe a girl's sense of a competition with her mother for the affections of her father. It is comparable to the male Oedipus complex. Resolving the Electra complex, which is bi- is what she would have if this were true. Mm-hmm. ultimately leads to identification with the same-sex parent. So it's like, ultimately, if you want to resolve this complex, if she were to have it, she would need to find a way to identify and figure it out with her mom. Which I would watch more than any of this crap. Yeah. 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 So Burbo says that she should ghost her dad. And okay. I'm like, I'm like, she you know what? Absolutely I should. get it. And you should. But, but the problem is that you have to want to ghost him. Yeah. yeah. And she doesn't want to. See, I didn't buy this. I never once thought that Veronica was addicted to Hiram. Mm-hmm. I always thought that she was being abused and like coerced by Hiram mm-hmm. and was not entering any of this willingly. The implication that she's been in this like cat and mouse thing willingly makes me very uncomfortable, to be honest. I felt like she has been going back to him because she feels a tie to her father to either impress him or defeat him. Mm-hmm. And I thought that she, I did feel like she has been like obsessed with going back and like I would also use the word obsession probably yeah either defeating him or impressing him but not in such a gross way that she's not in like a weird sexual way like like in my like mind it's kind of just like before like the pilot before Hiram was arrested her entire childhood and like early teens with Hiram was like a dream you know like she's loved Hiram her entire life yeah and yeah. so, like, the past two and a half years that he's been so garbagey has been so crazy and life-altering for her that, like, it's hard for her. And I, I know that, like, in season two, I think, every time someone was like, something bad's happened, she'd be like, it's my dad, isn't it? You know? Like, she would always <gasps> oh be like, God. it's my dad. It's my dad. It's always my dad. And it's like, I can't, I'm, like, so torn as to whether or not she wants him to be innocent like does she still in her heart of hearts believe that like he can be the person that she always thought he was going to be and so when Hermosa comes in and says he's the good he's a good person I know that like on the outside she's like no he's not he's a garbage man who does garbage things but like I mean I guess so that's she the big question it to be true. she I think she wants it to be true because otherwise her entire life was a lie okay yeah. fair enough okay okay so like i, I think th- i've even spoken the thing veronica why are you so obsessed with your dad so yeah i'm just gonna pipe down <laughs> <laughs> so i think that's kind of what's up okay so what really made me sad in this moment especially after having seen the episode already is this moment when veronica looks so sad and defeated and she says i really really want to go to harvard yeah and like after i was having seen the end of the episode knowing that she turned it down yep was really sad yeah like she had to turn it down for him and it's like i'm so proud of her for doing that but if it had been me i would have like i would have gone and been like i'm gonna live my best life doing this thing that i've always wanted to do have and try and make it not about you you know what i mean like i just feel bad that he ruined this thing for her i think his you know what though even if he hadn't interfered his shadow would still have been cast over the entire time yeah yeah that's for sure. Especially when people would be like, hey, I know your dad. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Miss Burble asks, who's leading the dance? Right now, Hiram. Right now. Oh, almost always Hiram. Yeah. yeah. So she, he walks into his office. She's drinking 
the bottle of his first rum and I'm like you know what buddy I know you're upset but like you can just like water it down a little bit right now no one's gonna like drink it and just like make it look full and put it back in there you know it's probably fine that is I don't know I, I like the revenge of this but the idea that he would find out way later that she did it is mm. pretty funny yeah oh yeah yeah so she's not going to Harvard she's gonna go into Yale instead so that tells us that she's gotten into Yale yeah like she mm-hmm. applied to a whole bunch of places and she got into Yale and how much would that annoy a Harvard alum oh Fully. That would be messed up. <laughs> like, we only know this from Gilmore Girls. Yeah. A line that I really liked of hers was that she said she isn't going to live his version of her life. That's great. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. like that. I liked that line. Um, she's going to start a rum business and murder him there. Cool. Not um, a real murder. You're sure. like... 12, yeah. so that probably won't happen. Sure, whatever. Um, and then my last thing was just, what will this change? It doesn't seem like a lot. No. No. Veronica's just doing more illegal adult things that are above her, like, experience yeah. and keeping her in this sick, twisted game with her dad mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. She's stagnant and she always will be. Yeah. Hey, Brittany, can you tell me about Patreon? Yes, Patreon is a service where you can donate monthly to your favorite creators. Tell me more. Well, like, if you enjoy The Affectionados, just, like, as an example, uh-huh. you could go to patreon.com slash The and start donating at a mere dollar a month. Wow, that's it? Uh, yeah, can you believe it? That's so not that much. I know! And when you donate for a dollar a month, you get early access to our podcast. How much? Like, at least a day. At least? Yeah, at least. Awesome. I mean, like, that's really good. What if I can't donate? Oh my god, spread the word via word of mouth. Tell your friends. Recommend us. Just, you know, stuff that doesn't cost you money. That's fine. Do I get anything else if I donate? Well, if you donate before, I'm going to say that, what what was it, the end of the December? Mm-hmm. Um, you get a postcard from us in the mail that I designed for our third anniversary. That's so cool. Yeah. So it's been neat. But what if Patreon's not my thing, but I really want a postcard? You can do a one-time donation by messaging Robin or the Aficionados on Twitter and being like, hey, I want to do this. And then we'll be like, okay. And then we will um, give you a way to give us money. And then we give you postcards. That sounds great. Thanks. Oh, and also we need this money Hmm. for our hosting fees. Because we have a lot of podcasts. Especially in January. January is when we really need them because that's when all of our uh, SoundClouds roll over into yearly things. Yeah, and then we're in hell. Please, yeah. please oh God. Yeah. Help, help us, please. Mm-hmm. Alright, so now we're going to do Jughead. Cool, 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 cool. And I did the one for Jughead, so. Whoa. Here we go. Cool. DuPont chastises Jughead because he hasn't turned in any of his homework lately and hasn't applied for any colleges. He tells him that no one at Stonewall will write him a recommendation letter because he sucks. <laughs> So if he wants one, he needs to go back to his garbage Riverdale High to get a garbage teacher there to write him something kind of garbage, maybe a little nice about him. Oh, seems friendly. (laughs) Jughead goes to see Miss Bell for a transcript and chats with Miss Burble, of course, who talks to him about how he needs to stop being a sleuth and just do his homework. Jug tells her about chipping and how DuPont and Brett are evil and DuPont stole the Baxter Brothers' property from his grandfather. She points out that he seems to be trying to reclaim things that he hates within Brett and DuPont. She gives him some perspective. How garbagey is it that Jughead is putting his grandfather up on a pedestal when the man used to abuse FP and Jug's grandmother? How does that look to FP? Jughead feels horrible and vows to give it a rest and do his schoolwork. That evening, FP comes home to Jug doing his work. Jug gives FP a huge hug and tells him that he loves him. He finishes some more chapters on his Baxter Brothers novel and also cracks open the case. He found that literally everyone else who was in the literary society with DuPont and Forsyth One died in accidents. Betty tells him that he needs to get out before something bad happens to him, but he refuses. He's got to crack the case. Oh my goodness! Hmm. Unfortunately, something bad does potentially happen to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't... I don't have a lot of, like, thoughts about this other than, like, 
I'm glad that Jughead finally realized that what he was doing was pretty garbage because we've been talking about that for a while. Mm -hmm. So I am grateful that she was like, hey, do you know that you're actively harming your father? Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird that that had to be pointed out to him. Yeah. I mean, I do feel that Jughead is the most receptive uh, of the five in his therapy session. Yeah. And like he immediately is like, oh, I've been a bad person Mm -hmm. and immediately like goes to fix it, which I appreciate. I do think that it's as entertaining as... Jughead's conspiracy theories are on the show in general. He can get in over his head sometimes. And, like, when he laid it all out to Mrs. Barwell, I was like, you do sound a little like a nut, kid. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I I think he can get in over his head. And that's why sometimes he, he needs a third-party perspective to be like, hey, um, this is affecting you people in your real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I have a few thoughts on this. Um, my main one uh, in relation to what you were just saying Mm-hmm. was that I think that Jughead is the most receptive because his is the least about him. Um, Like, Cheryl's is inward. Archie's is inward. Veronica's is inward. Betty's is about Alice, but Alice is there, so she can just yell at Alice. You know yeah. what I mean? But FP isn't here, and also Jughead is the one who is in the wrong. I mean, Betty's a little bit in the wrong, but obviously they're not going to tell us that. Yeah, but yeah, Jughead yeah. is the one who's in the wrong, and it's about FP. And so that's why Jughead is so receptive, is because she's telling him that he did a garbagey thing, and he can grow from this without having to do a whole lot of inward thought. Yeah, yeah. and it's very fixable. Mm-hmm. It's not like the other guys where it's like going to be a huge journey that the writers probably don't care about writing. This one, he can literally go to his dad and be like, hey, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and that'll be the end of it. Which he didn't even do. He just gave, he just told him that he loved him and it was nice. Yeah, um, wholesome. But also, I think that this, this storyline had the most exposition, and the reason is because everyone else has like been there and has been talking to Miss Burble potentially and she also like has these giant files on them so she knows all of the answers but if Jughead has left like he he has to come back and like obviously Miss Burble doesn't have any information on what's going on at Stonewall so he has to just like say it all yeah so he's the one who talks the most about like this is what I'm up to and that's the reason that that's happening it's just weird like obviously they have to do it because Miss Burble because there's literally no way that Miss Burble would know that right but um it was kind of annoying that like they were waste not necessarily wasting because like I said it had to happen for it to make sense yeah but like it was annoying that like everybody else got all of this time to like look inward and I know the Jughead thing wasn't about that but I Jughead's one of my favorite characters (laughs) oh boy (laughs) on the show and so like I would have loved to have some more time actually like talking about something introspective for something yeah but I will say as a counterpoint argument psychologically Jughead might be the most stable out of all of them I agree yeah for, for sure so so he doesn't need as much uh, inward introspection as he does forward plot motion. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's like what this served. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I think the writers are actually quite successful. Right. But yeah, it would be nice to, you know, we don't really need to be in Jughead's head though, because he's narrating the show for true, us. True, true. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of this one, it was the most well done because the rest of the show was doing well with Jughead. Right. Yeah. So this homework that DuPont is talking to him about, is this on the Baxter Brothers stuff or is this something else? No, it, it, he said I was supposed to have a first page to you. No, he said I was supposed to hand in pages today, but that was it. Was, but it wasn't clear to me if that was like, because I thought that when they were going to do the whole Baxter Brothers thing, like maybe this was before DuPont was one of the teachers, but like he was supposed to like, here are my three chapters. Here you go. Here's my outline. Here, take it, read it. Let me know if you choose me. No, you know I, I mean? think it's a draft of those pages. Well, it is now because he's the teacher. Exactly. Right? Okay. But like, it's annoying because like, even if like now that DuPont is getting all of these, he's like, Taking other people's, like, ideas for books, basically. Yep. 
Like, that's basically what he's been doing this whole time, right? It's like, oh, I need ideas from everybody, and then just, like, stealing everybody else's ideas. Well, and he's keeping an eye on Jughead and trying to find his grandfather to see, like, either to kill him or to see which one of them dies first. Yeah, I'm like, maybe the Skull and Quill or, like, the Literary Society, which, like, apparently seems to be the same thing. Like, I didn't think it was the same thing, but then, like, this episode made it seem like it was the same thing. I think they're probably the same thing. Because the picture that we got in the yearbook with Charles Chickens and such. Charles Chickens. Yeah. That was the literary society. Yeah. They didn't yeah. have a picture of the Skull and Quill because it was a secret. You know? So, like, who all was in the Skull and Quill? It's like, has every member of the literary society been in the Skull and Quill all of history except for Jughead? I mean, maybe he just hasn't been initiated yet. Is Jughead even in the literary society or is he just at this class? I don't, I don't think, know. I don't think he's in the literary society. Okay. So, like, the fact that J Brett was like, oh, we did it as a thing as the literary society and Jughead's like, why wasn't I invited? You weren't, you're not in the literary society? Exactly. <laughs> okay. You haven't been initiated? Whatever. So Jughead is, we, we were talking about this, Jughead starts taking the candy and I was like, haha, very Jughead. And you were mentioning that it's also very kid who grew up hungry. Yeah. Which oh, I yeah. thought was really cool. It's a, it's a good detail. For sure. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she recognizes that and just like, is like, take it all. It's just like these subtle little nods that she does understand each kid. Mm -hmm. Yep. And she knows what each one wants and needs. Yep. I like that it has so many levels too, because the way that you saw it was kid who grows up hungry wants to take the candy. And of course me, Jughead Stan, especially like comics Jughead Stan was like, my main man loves food. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think two things could be true. There are so many levels. So Jughead is case 77. He's getting a transcript from Ms. Bell. So, okay. Okay. And then, um, so now he's just like chatting with Miss Burble because, you know, she just heard Betty talk about her sex life with this kid. And so now she's like, now I need to know what's going on with this kid's life, obviously. Because truly, mm -hmm. she's really just a uh, nosy. I mean, okay. <laughs> but the interesting thing here is the role of a guidance counselor is a fascinating one because mm -hmm. normally this is a big no-no. Mm. Like in terms of like the psychology field, you can't actually be a psychologist to anyone who knows each other. So like oh. you can have one of them, but you can't have both because mm. it's a conflict of interest. Okay. Because you're getting two sides, but they're from two confidential things. Mm -hmm. So the fact that she now knows all of this and is using that is it an advantage. But I'm also like, oh boy, because like the information she has, she can't reveal she has. But then again, like she did not talk to Jughead about anything to do with Betty. No, and that's what I thought was interesting. But I also thought while we were watching this that I was a little upset that Betty's entire thing was focused on what I perceive to be inherently female issues, mm. which is her relationship with her mother and sex. Right. And that one kind of bugged me. I might be being too sensitive here, by the way. But, you know, the fact that Betty's dad was a serial killer and that she's also investigating crimes, they didn't really get into that at all. It like... You, yeah, like, we could have explored her psychology around her thinking that she's a serial killer because she has the genes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. like, anything like that could have been explored more deeply and I would have been more satisfied with Betty's storyline, but they were just like, my mommy reads my diary and I'm mad. But then yeah. again, we also have been asking for a sex talk forever, so... Yeah, yeah you it's, know. It's, it's a difficult line to walk, I yeah, guess. Yeah, And that's another, like, while we're on the sexism thing between this Betty and Jughead storylines, I also was a little annoyed about how well they handled, or what a good light they put FP in in this episode yep. while they completely tore down mm -hmm. Alice. Right. Because, like, FP also started as a bad parent. He like, sure did. He was a drunk guy who 
didn't even have his kid in his home. Mm-hmm. And he also helped cover up a murder. And, and like, he helped he helped demolish the place where his son was staying. Exactly. Right. And like he has grown to be a much better character and had like a fantastic character arc into being a good person yeah. and like, a good father. But I would like to see it for Alice, please, mm-hmm. in a consistent manner. Thank you. Yep, I agree. Like, if you can do it for FP, you can do it for Alice. Why are you using her as a prop and he's an actual person? Why not both? Yeah. So Jughead starts talking about Holden Caulfield, and she's like, so do you like to use fictional references to make sense of your life? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, and also me. Mm -hmm. But, like, that also cracked me up because literally every single person who was in that room did that. Oh, yeah. Like, except for for maybe Betty. Right. But, like, that's, Cheryl is the queen of that. And Veronica, she literally had a whole discussion with Veronica about how fictional characters relate to, like, her situation. Yeah, she talked about Shakespeare. Archie talked about comic books characters. Yep. What about Cheryl? When did Cheryl? Um, Ingrid Bergman. Mm, yeah, right. She's an actor, but yeah, no, I know what you uh, mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I totally know yeah. what you mean. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, but he actually does a complete, a totally, uh, another example of this in this, um, in this scene. Yeah. Which I really appreciated. He said that his grandfather could be Gatsby rich. Mm, yeah, he did. Yeah. Um, and they don't, obviously they don't like bring that up again. Like she's like, oh, you did it again, you yeah. know? But, um, he does, he does it multiple times in this scene. Jughead says that DuPont has a grudge against anyone named Forsyth. So how do we explain, after all of this garbage, how do we explain how nice DuPont was about Forsyth the first time we met him? I think to find his location. To find out if he was still alive. He needed something from Jughead. I feel like I had something else down here. Uh, Yeah, I I have some more about this when we talk about, like, the accidents and stuff, actually. So I'm going to talk about that later. So they talk about tilting at windmills is a phrase of speech that they talk about. Um, Mm -hmm. To tilt at windmills is to attack imaginary enemies. Yes. Okay. His family's achievements were stolen. He's trying to get inheritance, status, and prestige when she when he seems to hate that in others. Good point. That is such a fair point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she says that the easy way is to just be a bum and then claim that they didn't give you a chance. Yep. Yep. But She's FP right. did the hard work, which it, it, he did the work to transform himself into a good person. For mm-hmm. sure. I love, like, this is probably one of my favorite just because I, like, love FP and I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. Yes, like, someone's finally fighting for FP. And, like, the moment when she says, like, how does it, how would you think it would feel from his perspective if, like, you're treating this man as, like, some sort of wronged hero when he was, like, the garbage, like, a terrible person. Which is literally what we were saying. I literally, like, went back and rewatched that part. She was like, she gets it. She fully did. She was, like, yelling in the house. (laughs) Um, so of course Jughead feels terrible about this. And I love the moment when like he obviously looks hor- like feels horrible. Yeah. And she says to him, and I quote, I won't think you're less smart if you admit that I'm right. Yes. That she gets so him. Great. That's like she gets it. Like that's that's him. She's a great I like when she like, did character. that with both Jughead and with Cheryl mm-hmm. about the ice thing and she was mm-hmm. like it would be okay if you told me it wasn't a mistake. Yeah. Exactly. Like sh- she's fantastic. Mm-hmm. She's creating like the original like purpose of the phrase safe space yeah Yeah. she's creating a safe space where these kids can admit these things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know before everyone politicized that and turned it into like a weapon like well before the right wing conservatives turned that into a weapon but that's that's what you're supposed to have in a a therapy session Mm -hmm. well like even when she says like i won't think you're less smart if you admit that i'm right jughead is that kid yeah who like like you can look at him and you're like if i say anything like, that kid's gonna pretend that I'm an idiot. You know what yeah. I mean? So, like, if, even if I'm right, I won't think you're less smart. 
Yeah. And yeah. I just, I guess what I'm saying is just that, like, that it was, like, right on the nose. I mean, mm-hmm. like, not to, like, you're gonna hate that I said this, but sometimes Jughead gives me the vibe of, like, the kid who would be like, um, but what if I wanted to play devil's advocate? Like, sometimes I think Jughead gives off that vibe. He does a little. Not in, like, a gross way. No, but, like, he is that kid who would, like, try to have a debate about something, but he's also the kid at the back of the class who would be, like, yelling at the kid doing that because the kid other kid would be Brett yeah I was yeah. about to say I think Brett like I think that like in Riverdale High maybe Jughead would do that sort of exactly. thing exactly but then you see like the actual personification of like that kid in Brett yeah and you're like okay now I see Jughead's like oh wait yeah. never mind yeah yeah yeah, yeah. She's underpaid and overqualified. Like, Mr. Honey is like, can you do extra office hours? And I'm like, are you paying her overtime? Probably not. I think she's doing this out of the goodness of her heart. I think so, too. Mm -hmm. Honestly, like, they they need her with all of the, like, murder that's going on. Like, like, we never talk about... I mean, we kind of did this season, but, like, the, like, prom last year, in which, like, like, there's all of these deaths and everything, and, like, when there's a death... Like, I was in high school when, like, people in my class, like, died. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and like, the guidance counselors would always be available. Like, um... Someone got murdered in mine. Same. Really? Yeah. In, like, murdered? Me too. Murdered. Like, we, there's... Like, I remember... He, he actually got killed during summer, and on the first day of school, we all wore, like, white t-shirts in his memory. Ours happened, happened? um... Ours happened in the middle of the school year, and I actually knew some of the people who had information about his murder... So I had to like turn in that information to my English teacher. Oh my god! And she was she was like, I was like, I was so afraid. But I was like, I feel like even if this is snitches get stitches, I have to do something. Yeah. And she was like, It's okay. They have this information, but you did the right thing. And I was like, Good, because those guys suck. Like there were a few suicides in my my high school, but yeah. like the one yeah. that really sticks out to me is like. I went to school with this kid until eighth grade and then he moved away and um, he got in a drunk driving accident and passed away. And mm-hmm. um, like a whole bunch of people in my high school, like we went to middle school with him. So the, yeah. so the guidance counselor was available for us, even though like he fully didn't go to our school. Yeah. Like they were still available to like talk to us. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Even, even though he was like so far away. Yeah. We had, a, we had that a couple times where they're like, we have guidance counselors mm-hmm. available for you. Yeah. But it was usually kind of like a whole like, group of them. Mm-hmm. But I guess Riverdale High's yeah. quote-unquote small. Yeah. So, she tells him to take all the candy because he's the last one that she has. So, she did all of this in one day. Yeah, imagine how exhausted she would... <laughs> imagine going home and needing to purge your brain of all yeah. of that stuff that you just yeah. heard. This is why my mom only watches Disney movies. Yeah. <laughs> so, we also get to see the senior mints again. He hugs his dad, which is really lovely. Um, he's writing and he did his applications. Oh, good boy. He did it. Um, then we have these articles about these people who have died. So we have Theodore. He drowned in 2002. Jane Dallas Brown. Remember when I mentioned Jane? When we saw the picture and I was like, there's Jane. She's yeah. the only girl here. Shout out. Yeah. Uh, well, she died in 1978. Sure Oop. Uh, 1994, Charles Chickens. Alas. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, poor one out. Um, so yeah, my next thing was just like, is the literary society different than the Quill and Skull? I guess not. It seems like they were different, but like maybe everyone who's in the literary society is in the Skull and Skull, I guess. Maybe it's just a code for referring to the Quill and Skull. Maybe, maybe. DuPont and Forsyth One are the only ones not dead. So is DuPont trying to find Forsyth One yes. to get him killed, basically? Oh, yeah. One like, of those, yeah. Either like, to kill him or to get him killed. Is the reveal of, like, where, like, FP doesn't know where Forsyth 1 is. And we're, we were kind of, like, not sure if he did or did not know where he was, if he was lying of whether he did. But maybe he doesn't. Maybe Forsyth 1 is in hiding. What if, what if Forsyth 1 is the one killing people? 
Ooh. I mean, it's a possibility. It is a possibility. It, yeah, it's even a possibility. Oh my gosh. Olive Garden, when you hear your family, when you hear you're here. <laughs> Yikes, I did not consider that. Like, well, you should consider it. Okay. I just like, and then maybe he, maybe he killed Jughead. Oh, oh no. Oh my god. I just like, after all of this, like putting him on a pedestal, he's a wrong hero type talk. And I know that we, like, we never fell for that garbage. No. But like, with all of that talk, I thought that like he was going to come in and he was going to be like, hey kid, let me show you the good life or like yeah. whatever, like that sort of thing. So I didn't consider that like he was legit evil. Yeah. Oof. Maybe. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, 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 yeah. If that's true, you heard it here first. Got him. <laughs> um, so Jughead, so Betty's like, hey, Jughead, maybe you should um get out. And he's like, nah. <laughs> Sense of self-preservation? Yes. Never heard of I'm it. I'm good love, thanks. So what will this change? I think this pushes Jughead's story forward in the, in the biggest way. Yeah. Like, he's kind of on a new journey now, which mm-hmm. is maybe find grandfather, find out what happened, like, apply to schools. I I think think it's relevant. Weirdly enough, like, even though Jughead's was the least, like, about him, I think that it was the one that pushed, that was most forwarded by by this, which is really interesting. Okay, can we move on to the flash forward? Yes. Yeah? Okay. Flash forward. Betty, Veronica, and Archie are called into the sheriff's office and stand in front of the mugshot wall. Is that what it's called? The wall with the heights? I don't know. Sure. The mugshot wall? Sure. Either way, Donna and Brett identify them as the killers of Jughead. They say that they saw them kill Jughead. What is going on? Sure they did. I don't trust Brett and Donna. I don't trust any of this. You're trying to, like, give me somebody trustworthy if you want me to believe that these three killed Jughead. But I think that's the point, right? Yeah, it just read as weird to me that FP was just like, are these the kids? Like, he doesn't know usually, these kids. Usually, like, would the force not usually have somebody else do this? Like, I know it's supposed to be a small town. It's like, Riverdale is only a small town when, when it's convenient. Be, yeah. Like, I don't think that FP would be investigating his no. son's murder. Like, I don't think that's, that's allowed. That's why I think this is Jughead's book. Yeah. yeah. Or not Jughead's book, but this is his Baxter Brothers book. Right. Yeah. Because um, there's, there's no way. Mm-hmm. There's no way any of this would be happening. Yeah, exactly. Like, right now, this doesn't really make sense. That's really all I had about that, was just that, like, once again, they don't look, like, at no point are they like, no, I'm innocent. Exactly. They all look like they're guilty. Yeah. Segments? Yes. So now it's time for segments. My first segment is a sexual joke. Question mark, question mark, question mark. And the answer is yes, obviously yes. I don't care that they literally (laughs) talked about it, like, a lot. Exactly. Yeah, I don't care. I don't. I don't. Sorry, I don't care. I just think it's really important to even uh, to keep bringing it up, even if we know it's potentially not true. Yeah. Uh, I think it's important to keep mentioning that this was supposed to be true, and I still feel a little bit wronged about it. You should. Agree. You should feel wronged about this. Yeah. And my segment is which MILF was the most badass, and uh, the answer is Mrs. Burble, obviously. Come on. For sure. We don't know if she's a yes. mom, but like, go off. But it's just like, you know? Yeah. You know? You know? Mm-hmm. I think, I think... Milf is an energy at this point, and you don't really- hundred <laughs> percent. Like, it's you don't have to have kids, you- to be a Milf at this point. Yeah, Milf is a tier in an energy, yeah. not a qualification. Yeah. Um, and my segment is, did the Stank parents acknowledge their obvious history? And, um, I'm gonna- I'm gonna go with a real subtle yes. Yeah. Because um, of Charles? The boys- no, the boys are outside. The boys are outside <gasps> is exactly oh. what I was thinking. Thank you for reading my mind. Yeah. But yeah, cause, like, Allison made dinner, and the- the boys were outside, mm-hmm. and they're th- the implication that they're having dinner together. And while I was sitting here thinking about that, I'm like, so so does Betty have the common sense to realize that 
Allison FP. Well, I guess she saw them make out in the kitchen, so sure. But like, if we're always talking about how Alice feels about Betty and Jughead, are we going to talk about how Betty feels about Allison FP? Question mark. Please. I would watch that. Like, I would like to see that conversation. The two-sided conversation there. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Now it's time for our best line award. My best line award goes to Archie for... So what am I supposed to do? Huh? Theoretically. Oh, theoretically. <laughs> Iconic. Genius. Show-stopping. Award-winning. I'm so sad that the, the air quotes mm -hmm. can't be put in here. <laughs> I feel like you can hear them, though. You totally well, Theoretically. Can. Theoretically. And mine goes to Cheryl for... We can find out the truth about Julian's existence with a swab of your saliva. You can't have any of my bodily fluids, you succubus. Excellent use of the word succubus. <laughs> and mine goes to Betty for... I love you most too, Mom. With honorable mention to Alice for... Elizabeth, perfect timing. The boys are out back and the casserole's almost ready. Set the table. The boys are back. The boys are back in town. The boys the are in the backyard. The boys are back yard. The boys <laughs> are in the backyard. <laughs> the boys are in the backyard. Gonna do it again. I'm up <laughs> the neighborhood. I want to leave. Okay, so now it's time for our trailer reaction. Um, the I'd love to actually do the trailer reaction and then read the little blurb because the trailer reaction literally gives us nothing. Yeah, here's my trailer reaction. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, okay, okay so trailer reaction. Go. What are you doing? What are you doing? Mom! Listen, <laughs> Mom! <laughs> Alice pulls out a knife. I, I just, I don't, it's gotta be a dream or oh, a hallucination. Sure. Yeah, like this obviously or... isn't actual, actually her, like she's, like literally us, she's stone faced the whole time. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And I truly feel like, like I've been punked. Punked. Yeah. It's like, it's like you've stolen this from me. Not only do you not give me extended trailers, but this literally means nothing to me because I, there's nothing I can glean from it because I assume it's like, a I know it's not real. Yeah. Well, so, so like, like what's what, the point? what can I even get from this? That and I'm like, hashtag leave Alice alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like stop making Alice the bad guy, please. For a dollar. <sighs> so now I'm going to read the thing that's sender here to like figure out what the heck is going on with this uh, episode because there's literally nothing I can glean from the trailer. Yeah. So let's find out what happens. Who knows? Sure. So, oh, it is the mid-season finale. Oh. It says here that it's the mid-season finale. I love that for me. I can take a break. Great. Okay. We have so many breaks coming our way. Yeah. So um, after this week, which if you're listening to this the day that it comes out, um, tomorrow we're going to be rewatching this episode. But next Tuesday, we're going to be rewatching. That's on TV Co. I mean, we're going to be rewatching an episode um, of Twitter's Choice. So we're going to give three options, a season one episode, a season two episode, and a season three episode. And uh, whichever one wins on Twitter, we're going to be rewatching that one. So you guys are going to want to check us out on Twitter um, so that you can vote on your favorite episode of the three. We've already chosen them, but it's a surprise. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay, mid-season finale, great. Yeah. Ooh. The search for Forsyth Pendleton Jones won. After declaring war on Hiram, Veronica enlists a secret weapon against her father, her abuelita. Ooh. Ooh. I'm interested. Suddenly. I'm suddenly interested. Archie and FP team up. Yay! <gasps> to take Dodger down for good. I thought he was in a coma, but go off. While Betty and Charles Ooh. investigate a series of strange attacks aimed at Betty. Okay, what about I'm, Chick, though? I'm already over it. <laughs> Elsewhere, Jughead search for his grandpa, Forsyth Pendleton Jones, one guest star. He's here. Ooh! 
leads to more questions than answers while Cheryl finally makes peace with the past that's been haunting her. All right. All right. I would <laughs> okay. like to see it. Okay. I would like to see it. I'm excited. I look forward to it. The uh, trailer literally gave me none of that. Um, yeah. And I think that it's probably because there's so much in this episode that's like supposed to be a secret. Yeah. That they yeah. probably didn't want to show us anything, uh, which is fair, but I don't like it. Um, yeah. Is this supposed to be one of the strange attacks on Betty? I don't think so. I guess. It's a dream, right? Yeah. Right. You can't count that as an attack on yeah. Betty. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Unless that, unless it's some kind of farm trigger word, like Callie said. Right. Yeah, Callie, Robin's sister did have a really good point that at some point Edgar might have brainwashed them enough that there's a trigger word that maybe it's tangerine. It could be. Um, I have thoughts on tangerine, um, like what the actual... Okay. Um, like what it's named for. Okay. What, like the yeah. film that's named for. But like, yeah, that could be it. Uh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our music is Terminal by Good News Tunes. Please, if you are so inclined, review us on iTunes. We would like that. Even if it's just uh, the little stars, we'll take it. Um, and we also have a survey. It's perpetually open. It is in the description, and we would love to hear from you. If you're a fan of The 100, we like to talk about that show. Too. Well, we talk about that show. <laughs> Robin's like, please stop. And I'm like, I will never forget. We have done seasons four and five. And at some point, I think we're going back to do seasons one to three. Uh, Also, we did season six. I forgot we did that. Anyway, we will be back for season seven in the new year. Get into it. Uh, if you're a fan of Lost, we like to talk about that show too. Um, we those are our very very long podcasts. If you're interested, oh yeah, in, this is it. <laughs> no, like very very long. Yeah. like sometimes four hours. Yeah. Uh, so if you're interested in podcasts about a lot of character, like a lot of character. If you're interested in a podcast um, about an actual good show, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. If yeah. you, yeah, 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 um, but we also it's spoiler free as well. So if you're just watching uh, for the first time. You can hang out with us. We would love to have you. Uh, we have finished season one, and we are just doing the tail end of season two now. Anyway, if you're a fan of Stranger Things, we like to talk about that show, too. So uh, we covered season one, and we're doing season two in the new year. Yeah. Um, w- should I go ahead and say the 201 release date? Sure. This is the first place that's going to know. Are you ready, kids? I'm ready. I believe your line is... Aye, aye, Captain. Aye, aye, Captain. I can't hear you. Aye, aye, Captain. It's January 15th. Thanks for asking. Yeah, okay. What's happening? And coming in 2020, we are doing a Star Trek Picard pod. Um, So this is very important to um, my happiness. So we're doing it. Um, We're recording the first episode in which we interrogate Robin, who's never seen Star Trek, into describing Star Trek to us. So it's going to be really great. I'm a comedian, so... Oh, okay. You're gonna want it's gonna be funny. Okay. You can join us every Tuesday on the TV Co app at 7 p.m. PST. Um, if you just download TV Co, it'll there'll be a link in the description. You can download it, you can search Riverdale, or you can search Aficionados. If you follow us, then you'll get notifications for when we go live, just in case you don't know when 7 p.m. PST is. Um, and all of our broadcasts, our previous broadcasts are all saved there. So if you want to check out us watching the Midnight Club, it's on there. And it's a great episode, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. You can follow the Aficionados on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, Rebel, YouTube, but mostly Twitter, sign a Tumblr for gifts. Please support Robin in her gifts. I work really hard on them, thank you. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash theafficionados. If you like what we do here, please consider donating because what we do is really expensive. It's free for you, but it's not free for us. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, 
gosh, what is the cost of my labor? You know? Well, the cost of SoundCloud is at least $150. (laughs) Yeah. That'll do it. Um, My labor is free. Sure. I just don't want it to be. Okay. Okay. Uh, If you join before the end of the year, we can send you a postcard. It'll be great. It's a nice postcard. You'll like it. It is. I think I did a good job. Thanks. You can follow me on Twitter at Britannia, which is B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-A with an underscore at the end. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey. That's R-O-B-Y-N-E-J-E-F-F-R-E-Y. Pretty much everywhere. You can follow me at Sam Casey. That's S-A-M-C-A-S-E-Y-S. She finally changed it, you guys. did it. Yay. And join us for our next episode, which is 409 Tangerine. Tangerine is a 2015 American comedy drama film. The story follows a transgender sex worker who discovers her boyfriend and Pip has been cheating on her. And the film was shot with three iPhone 5S smartphones. Okay, well that's cool. Yeah, it was. It went to um, like a whole bunch of film festivals yeah. and I looked up why it's called Tangerine. And Tangerine actually isn't really um, important in the film. Um, they only called it Tangerine because after they color corrected it and edited it, it seemed like it was mostly orange. Oh, okay. And so that's why they called it Tangerine. That's neat. It is interesting. Huh? Okay. Okay, love you. Bye. Love you, love you, bye. Yeah, love you, bye.